My name's Rat, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Hello, and welcome to Transformers Tuesdays. Uh, I'm Mike, I'm going to be your host tonight, and uh, tonight, uh, it's it's going to be, this year is the 20th anniversary of Beast Wars Transformers, so, and, uh, you know, BotCon is uh, going to be a Beast Wars theme this year, so we figured we'd uh, talk about probably, like, the most, uh, behind, I'd say, like, Code of Hero, maybe, like, the most significant episodes from Beast Wars, like, as a series, like, the Agenda Trilogy. And, uh, like, fittingly, BotCon's, like, exclusives this year are, uh, the Tripredicus Council, and not based on, like, you know, the Tripredicus toys, like Cicadacon, C-Clamp, and, uh, Ramhorn, but they're based on their, like, budget-cutting, like, made-up designs from the Agenda episodes, because, like, it, which you can clearly tell are, like, made up from existing designs they had, like, lying around, probably, but, uh... You know, that like, I thought that was a pretty nice touch for an exclusive, so... And I, I just figured, you know, we all agreed that it, it would be a nice, you know, topic for discussion uh, for this month. So, uh, yeah, well, why don't you guys say, who's who's here? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, ready to uh, do some... Beast Wars! Hey, guys, this is Tony, and... I have a really advanced starship that I plan all my incredibly devious and underhanded secret subversive moves on, but for some reason my main briefing room just has a 1950s style overhead lamp on a cord. And it had nothing to do with mood lighting. No, no, not at all, not at all. Tripedicus Council now in session. That's why we're recording right now, in fact. Me, me, Tony, and Derek are all sitting around a table with a rickety lamp like hanging over us, and we're all like cast in mood lighting. Well, I'm not to, the lobster. We're trying to to make sure all the the highly rated podcasts don't get broadcast to the maximal scum. You know? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We caused we caused one of our other podcasts to accidentally explode. <laughs> Nobody knows this, but we sent Justin uh, Barber out to uh, take care of that pesky Joe Rogan guy. Damn him. Yeah, just, Justin and Brian are doing, like, an episode of, like, Sentai Saturdays, and then we blew it up so it would, like, block, like, an, anyone else from hearing this podcast, basically. <laughs> I, I was just, I, you, you made me curious, so I, I looked up the images for the, the Dawn of the Predicus exclusive or whatever, because I was, I was curious, like, what kind of toys they could milk out of those those designs and everything i'm like oh that's kind of cool like they just kind of took like what like some combiner war toys and like slapped yeah. some of those kind of those predacon you know council heads on on the, the yeah and, and then stuff and then they they added ravage and tarantulas obviously because they're in the employ of the tripredicus council yeah, yeah, that, to like that, fill out the combiner that makes sense 
Yeah, yeah. Tarantula. Yeah, I, I will, I, cool. yeah. Yeah, I will, I, I will say, though, due to, I guess, this happening and getting Ramhorn, because he's not only got a new head, he's got a, a new attachment that gives him a drill bit, we're apparently getting the Technoboss out of this. <laughs> yeah, def- we, we, uh, we've already seen that that Ramhorn toy with the drill tank is going to be, like, nose cone, basically. Okay, so. okay. But, that makes sense. Yeah. Before I get, like, obviously we'll do the usual thing where we, you know, we'll go episode by episode. I think instead of going, like, you know, scene by scene, I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of each episode and then, like, talk, you know, I'll ask you guys for your thoughts on this particular episode. But before that, I just wanted to ask you guys, like, the context in which you will first watch these episodes. Because, like, I, these the the agenda trilogy as well as code of hero and transmutate are sort of infamous to me myself because they probably constitute the first time i was ever spoiled on something on the internet because oh wow yeah you guys probably know but these episodes aired on cartoon network like far far ahead of them actually airing like in syndication where i watched beast wars basically and like at that time like in 1998 i think it was like i didn't have cartoon network so and i did have however have the internet so like i remember when the that week like cartoon network aired the five episodes like for the the whole week and then like um transformers news sites like had like you know screenshots and stuff and uh, like you know uh, uh, 1998 obviously was still fairly young into the internet's life so you know people an hour later and you were spoiled forever yeah exactly (laughs) like i remember going on to like some yeah yeah, i like i remember going on to some like now probably defunct like transformers like fan site and the first thing i saw was the image of like megatron hovering over Soundwave's like downed body and like the the it was a screen grab from like a vhs tape so it was kind of blurry and small so like from that like angle it kind of looked like megatron was like fighting sound wave even though it like in the actual <laughs> episode he's just kind of floating over his like downed body so i was like oh my god like they're gonna cross over with like g1 transformers or something so like of course you know i was i was probably like 14 or 15 so i had no self-control so i like i had to read what this was all about so yes like all like probably the best episodes of beast wars like like totally i was totally spoiled on them i had to read them i read i knew what was going to happen to them in them way way before i ever watched them you read the internet novelization before you saw the movie pretty much yeah so and i mean (laughs) now like in retrospect like nowadays like i i i I can be totally divorced from that and like say oh yeah these were great episodes but like you know i part of me is still kind of sad that i didn't get to like see them like in the raw basically or like be totally like surprised by them and like i just wanted to ask you guys like what what were your experiences watching these episodes for the first time like i i know derek you only saw them like like far after they had aired too like so yeah well it's it's weird like i i was trying to think of because i i did i did go back and listen to one of our earliest podcasts it was episode four and we were talking about this and i i did briefly go into my experience with beast wars and the 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 things that i thought i could bring to this episode that would be new is to get into like the really specific meaty details of all this kind of stuff so i think this question is an opportunity to do that but i mean basically you know 
the the lengthy part of the original introduction to Beast Wars was I was in college, I came home, and the first two episodes of Beast Wars were a pay-per-view movie, you know, that you could purchase. Oh, wow. And and I did <laughs> I watched those first two episodes and was kind of like the, you know, the truck, not monkey crowd and kind of went, oh, this is kind of weird. Like, you know, Megatron's a Tyrannosaurus and Optimus Primal's a monkey and they don't really sound like Peter Cullen or Frank Welker. And, you know, I, I watched <laughs> it. One guy. <laughs> I, I, I watched it. I, I taped it on a VHS tape for later because, you know, I didn't want the, the pay-per-view money to go to waste. But I was kind of thinking, like, it, it wasn't basically anything that really... It, it it didn't bring up any of my nostalgia feels, basically, and I just kind of thought of it as a reinvention of something that I did like when I was a kid, but this was something that was totally unfamiliar to me. And so at that point, I mean, I kind of went about my, my daily business and, 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 you know, was going to college and, and doing all this stuff at the time, and... Basically, what I remember, and I, I had to look this up because I'm like super old and I couldn't even remember where the hell I was living at the time. But I, I, I'm sitting there going, "What? What apartments were, were, was I living in? Like, I can't even fucking remember now." But if if anybody out there actually is a listener that went to Loyola Marymount University, I'm not sure if there are any, but if there are. I was in the Hannon apartments at that time. And so, like, I remember it was basically, it was 1998. It was my, my uh, you know, ostensibly my, my junior year at Loyola Marymount University. And, you know, at that time, there were no cable, uh, there was no cable TV in the dorms. And, you know, basically the only way we could watch TV was, you know, you brought in your TV sets and you had these like bunny rabbit antennas and crap like that. And that's basically how you watch TV. And a lot of the times I was taping episodes of like Star Trek and Superman, the animated series and all this stuff and just praying that the the snow grain of the TV antenna would not be so intense that I couldn't enjoy the episodes, basically, because we were always fiddling with like that perfect television antenna you know like that's how old this shit is it's like we were fiddling around with the tv antenna stuff and what i specifically remember about the agenda was and and i i can't remember for the life of me like what exactly i was watching but it must have been you know i mean obviously i was into like different animated shows and things like that at the time so i i can't see any reason why i wouldn't be watching like you know superman the animated series or whatever was on you know the batman superman adventures like whatever was on early in the morning yeah they yeah, DBZ was or Dragon Ball was getting really big at that time too. I think. Yeah, I mean that that wasn't something I watched at that point, but but I mean I was watching like uh, you know a lot of the American animation and things like that, and and so for whatever reason I happened to wake up and be watching the Agenda Part Three, and and it was like almost the perfect like it, it's funny to think about it now, but for me like that was my introduction or reintroduction into Beast Wars, and the minute they sort of tapped my nostalgia for the original, like, Generation 1 Transformers, you know, in, in that episode, was when, basically, it just unlocked this magical world, you know, and it was like, oh, this show is the tits, and now I have to go back and, like, try to watch all of it, and, like, that was my basic introduction or reintroduction, you know, like I explained, I did see the pay-per-view thing and sort of, you know, decided against it but once i saw this 
you know, it was just like, oh, and it's funny, too, because I, I sort of wonder, had I seen them in order, would I have been as excited or not? Like, I kind of I kind of wonder about that, because I think it was almost like I got the money shot. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I <laughs> yeah. up to see the agenda part three and I was like, holy crap this is the greatest thing ever like look at this this is super awesome and it just made me so excited to see what was going to happen next and it made me really kind of not regret but just kind of go you know what i i owe this show like a a second chance to review it all because this was so cool like there must be other gems that i was missing you know and and at that point (laughs) It was, I think it was a little easier, um, you know, like not quite so easy. It's not like you could go online and download things and it's not like you could, you know, run out and buy a DVD box set or anything. But, you know, I remember they had the Airazor two pack where they had the little VHS tape. So I got that. So I watched it with Razor Claw. Yeah. And, and so I could watch, I could watch, I think it was like the, the call of the Fusors, was the episode on that VHS tape. And then I, I just, I, I just remember saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, and then, and then I think at that point it started, you know, beast machines was well on its way to, to coming out almost. And, and there were a lot of episodes I could try to catch up with on Fox kids or, you know, whatever. But I mean, it was, it was really, the show was in syndication. So I, I think what it was, was I caught, I think I caught a new episode. Like, I think I watched Agenda when it was new. So it wasn't like, but I, I don't think I was so entrenched in the internet or the fan community of it all that I had anything spoiled. It was almost like a happy accident that I woke up and watched this thing and then decided, you know what, I need to keep watching this show. And and what I ended up discovering was there were other people who really enjoyed the show as well, you know, the, you know, colleagues of mine and everything like that. And, you know, like I, I, I did mention this in detail on the, the show that we did way back when, but, you know, Code of Hero and, and the, all the kind of Shakespeare references, you know, being heavily invested in a theater program at, you know, a Catholic university, it's like, well, obviously that sort of, you know, basically that put another veneer and layer on it to where you, you know, you weren't necessarily going to be chastised for watching it because you could go, well, look, man, they're, they're quoting fucking Hamlet, you know, like this is, this is great. You know, like, look at how cool this show is. Look at how, you know, avant-garde and highbrow it is, Raul, you know, like, it was just <laughs> like, you know, and, and so you're like, you know, and, and there, there were, there were other guys that, that were into it as well. So, you know, me sort of taking that passion and, and enjoyment watching the show, I mean, that really rolled over into me, you know, running out and getting like, you know, Transmetal 2 Megatron and, 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 you know, Surfboard Monkey Optimus Primal and, you know, and, and then after that, it was like it was all over with. I mean, I was just like, then I got Rampage and Depth Charge and Optimal Optimus and all this other stuff. I mean, I was just, you know, basically anything that was was out around that time that I could get my hands on, I, I grabbed it you, up. You, you were balls deep. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I mean, as long as as long as they had sort of the main character itis to it, I mean, you know, it was like some of the yeah. stuff I had long missed out on, you know, it was like I, I probably couldn't have gotten a, a Rhinox toy, even though he was a main character, because his, his toy was sort of out of circulation by that point. But, you know, you could still I still ran into like, oh, I could get an Inferno because it was like on sale somewhere and still at KB's or wherever toy stores there were, you know, somewhere in America, there are still like original Infernos (laughs) on toy shelves, probably. So so it was like I could I could find those characters. I mean, I I, I pretty much, you know, I I could get like a, a pretty full cast of people who were in season three, at least, you know, so it was like, you know, with the exception of maybe like Black Arachnia and Rhino. You know, so it was like I I found Silverbolt and all those guys, and 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 that was you know basically the rest was history. Like that's that's essentially how I I came to it. it for me, I always kind of look at it as a, sort of a rediscovery of the show because it was technically the second time I had seen it, and then it, it sort of revitalized my passion and interest in, in like almost all things Transformers, you know, because that was something that I sort of put, you know, I mean, I still had, you know, the, my collection of Transformers and stuff like that, but it it had been a long time. I mean, this was, this was pre Dreamwave revival, you know, this was, you know, post G2 and action masters and all that stuff. So it, it, you know, I, I guess for me, it, you know, it had been a good number of years, where, you know, you know, you, you went to college, you went to high school, you did a bunch of other things and, and, you know, yeah. To to be fair, we were getting really excited for that awesome episode one Star Wars movie that was about to come out. There there was that too. (laughs) But, but I mean, I think, but I think that was, that, that was even after this, you know? So it was like one of those things where it was like, this was something I, I got really sort of passionate about and it revitalized my interest in the property as a whole. So, I mean, I, I definitely look fondly back on on my, you know, what I'm calling my rediscovery of the not only Beast Wars, but the franchise itself. Awesome. What about you, Tony? Yeah, uh, let me, uh, uh, this is going to be kind of Deadpool-ish, but not quite, because I think Mike actually saw it before me for once. Um, I was like Derek. I was, I was in the heady days of 1998. I was 22. Fuck. Um, anyway, but, um. I got out of Transformers and like I had a friend of mine, his name was Jeremy and he actually watched like uh episode into your beast wars. And he was like, that animal shit's stupid, you know, like, you know, it's dumb. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it does look dumb. You know, like I won't, I don't know if I was truck, not monkey, but they weren't my transformers, you know, like at first. And I, I did see a couple episodes of the first season and they were really like background. I can't tell you which episodes I watch. I don't know if I watched guerrilla warfare. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which ones I saw. But um, I remember I was sitting down one day, and a friend of mine, I was I was uh, sharing an apartment with some friends, and they were like, hey, let's go to Walmart. And I'm like, okay, sure, let's go to Walmart. And that was when Transmetals were just coming out. And the Transmetals came out like either a little bit before or right at the same time of uh, the uh, episode I'm about to mention. And I saw these guys, and I was like, oh, they look kind of cool. This, this is what Beast Wars is now? I, I, I thought they were just like really weird, stupid th- things, you know? And of course, being me, being that guy, I didn't buy like Transmetal Terrorsaur or Transmetal Cheetor. Bought fucking retracts. Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a pill bug. I want that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I I took him back to my house and I like you know fiddled with him and stuff. But I kind of like him because you have to remember I grew up in like the '80s and I was used to 
toys not moving as far as Transformers. And Retrax, despite not being the best example of a Beast Wars toy, had those nice, wonderful ball joints. And I was like really excited. I was like, oh, these these toys are pretty quality. <clears throat> so I like decided to check out Transformers again. And and like Derek, it was on Fox Kids at that point. And I just happened to see other voices. That was the first episode I remember. And I saw other voices and I was like, holy shit, this is pretty good. And I like continued watching. Um, because other voices was like the season one, season two, like finale beginning. And I was like, you know damn, this is really cool. We saw the Unicron head and everything like that. But the thing about it is, though, and I'm not, you know, taking down the episode we're talking about now, the three episodes we're talking about now, because when the agenda came out, that's when I was like, you know, I, I turned into Derek. I went balls deep because I was like, you know, I, I will I will save some of the surprises because we're going to talk about them. It's not that they're spoilers. Everybody has seen these episodes, but I want Mike to discuss them. But I saw characters I remembered, one specifically that we'll talk about, and I saw like these new characters like Rat Trap and, and Silverbolt and all these people who like, you know, were doing their voices and the writing was good. The comedy was good. I remember the first season had kind of wonky animation, you know, running up the hill like <laughs> and this like, you know, mainframe did a really good job of like, you know, progressing their their talent. And they made like the the designs look good. I know a lot of people pick, you know, fun at eggplant Optimus Primal's face, but I I didn't care. I was like, I'm, I'm so into this. And it was so well done. And like Agenda, the, the three-part episode we're talking about, it brought that G1 back to me like Derek. You know, it showed me G1, but it wasn't just fan service. It wasn't just like, you know, oh, it's it's Megatron and Optimus. That's cool. I like that. It was like building on a mythos. It was, it was something a, a lot of us complain about. Beast Wars was a kid's show. It was made for kids. But it didn't insult kids and it also addressed audiences that were older it like made you be like in that mind frame of i'm an adult but i don't feel insulted by this they're giving me a good story they're giving me good characters and i was hooked i was completely hooked i started buying beast force characters i was like derek i whatever was cool whatever toy i could see i bought and i'm gonna go a little meta here because of beast wars there was like derek said this big show coming up called beast machines and because of Beast Machines, there is this uh, forum started called BigBot.com that was, like, dealing with Beast Wars. And they managed to get uh, uh, Marty Eisenberg and Bob Skurr to moderate one of their forums for a little while. And a lot of people were joining Bot Talk, including the three people you're hearing tonight. And I'm not ashamed to say, if it weren't for Beast Wars, there might have not been a fan holes. Yeah, no, I, I think it's that's true. I yeah. think that's very true because all all of us I mean, I remember going on the old, you know, Ben Yi, you know, website and all that other stuff just because I was so I was so into it at the time, you know. And and, and I think I think it's important to note two other things is that, that the internet was sort of in its blooming heyday as far as, you know, people using it. I mean, I think in like 95, 96, when I first got to Loyola Marymount, it was like, what's this thing? I can send people this email thing? Okay. You know, and, and it was like just kind of <laughs> coming up and everything. And it wasn't like an everyday occurrence and all that stuff. And I think I think by the time it was like 98, and especially when I when I first joined Bot Talk, it was 2000, I think. And then and then, you know, by then it was like, you know, that was, you know, basically like, uh, I, I almost want to say that's that's the point where 
going on message boards and 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 you know for enjoyment and and spending your free time you know discussing your passions with people that were like minded that that started becoming a way of life you know and 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 i mean obviously for all of us we're we're still there on bot talk so it's been you know as as long as as almost beast wars has been around it's it's kind of like this is also sort of like an anniversary for bot talk too in a way and and all of us sort of meeting each other for the first time so so there's that aspect to it that like tony says is very meta and and the other thing that i i I don't know i feel compelled to point this out too because i'm i'm delving into the nitty-gritty details of what was going on in my life at the time but one of the classes i took in college was an art history class and I mainly just took it because I wanted to hang out with this girl and I could give two shits about the class and so I was there and there was another buddy and I didn't take any notes for it I didn't pay attention you know except for what moderately interested me and because you know I consider myself a fairly smart guy I just kind of skated by and got a C because I didn't do any prep for it and I just kind of pulled everything out of my ass you know and it was like I wasn't really there to you know get a good grade I was there to hang out with like a girl and um and and so so but but my point was one of the things I took away from that class was cubism and and you know they always kind of talk about how cubism was this style and and it was kind of like basically the idea of you know everything was drawn in cubes and you're kind of like well the head doesn't look like a cube but you put a couple cubes together and tell somebody well that's the head and then you put like 500 cubes like off to the left and you're like that's an arm and then you put a bunch you know 600 cubes and you're like that's the torso and you know so on and so forth and and once you sort of understand that art style and format you're kind of like, you know, when, when you first look at a cubist painting or whatever, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know, this looks like a blob of fucking bullshit. I don't know what that is. But by the time <laughs> somebody... Pablo Picasso thinking? <laughs> but by, by yeah. the time somebody explains to you the rules, by the end of it, you're like, oh yeah, that's a dude on a horse and he's got a fucking lance and... And and he's got he's he's lancing some butterflies, you know, and they're like, how do you fucking see that? It's like, well, I was trained to, you know, for this class, I was trained to how to interpret the art, basically. Right. And and I always, always compared the animation and Beast Wars to cubism. And the thing I think is important to remember is this even though today everything is fucking CGI, you know, it's all Pixar and, and you know, whatever, uh, you know, DreamWorks and all this other stuff. And, and all these big budget movies are all CGI, you know, you know, mega hits and all this other stuff. Back then in 1998, things were still 2D cell animation or at least mimicking cell animation at the very least. And it was a very unfamiliar way to look at animation and and yeah, the, only, the only other show that had come out before this before beast wars the first like fully 3d rendered like cgi cartoon was reboot which was also done by mainframe who did beast wars yeah and it, it was one of those things where i sort of had to train myself to to interpret cgi animation and i think to a lot of people, just as much as, you know, the idea of the Transformers brand being, you know, robots that turned into, you know, trucks and planes and tanks and all this other stuff, 
was it was like an anathema to certain fan parts of the fan base where it's like what they turn into like you know animals and dinosaurs and monkeys and what <laughs> i i think also just the visual style you know you you had to take a leap of faith you know you kind of had to be like oh you know what this isn't cell animated and i'm gonna sit here and you know and and i think without the agenda i don't think i would have been willing to to make that attempt either you know because i i think there's so much of the animation out there at the time was cell animated and it was like that's just what we were used to you know and it, and it took yeah. it took a, a you know that that was for me again a huge leap of faith where it was just kind of like hey you know what I, I i might this might be really weird looking to me right now but once i sort of train myself to interpret it and enjoy it and everything it's like now you know even though you know i suppose you could look back in hindsight and go oh this is cgi from you know almost you know going on 20 years ago now you know and and you could point out flaws or whatever you know there's still things about it you can come to appreciate and kind of go oh wow that's great how they you know how they interpreted this and did that or you know basically the stuff i'm sure we'll talk about in the the episode by episode type stuff yeah, I, I, I think it's really uh, a credit to Mainframe. I, I, I did pick on, like, season one, where the animation was a little bit clunky, but it was new technology. And, it, it like you know, like I said, we'll get into it more in uh, when we do the actual synopsis. But um, I give Mainframe a lot of credit, because as the series grew, I think they still had the same budget, but they got so comfortable in their shoes with their ability, and they're very talented, you know, animators. That like, you know, from like, you know, the end of season one, even to like season two and season three, you know, even if there's a story that you don't like or a story that's not like, you know, top tier, that the animation grew by leaps and bounds. Like there was there's moments where you forget that it's CGI and like the facial expressions are so good. And they have that like, you know, they have they have they actually have a personality. It's not just a computer rendering. <laughs> you like actually see that like somebody put that work into it when like Megatron, you know, does his like little smile and stuff. You're like, Ooh, you son of a bitch. You know, he's like, you feel that character. So yeah, I give mainframe a lot of credit for being a pioneer in that, that animation style. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I almost like, I mean, you can see the flaws today, but I think most of it holds up by today's standards. Like, I mean, you know, sometimes today you'll see like, you know, you, it's obvious that stuff like clips through other stuff and, you know, some things yeah. like explosions and like, you know, mountain ranges and water all look kind of cruddy. But, you know, I think they they managed to, like you said, Tony, they got really comfortable and they managed to disguise any flaws there might have been with like, you know, camera work and, you know, style, basically. Yeah, they made it work for them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess we should let you actually talk about the episodes we're going to yeah, discuss. <laughs> well, I guess we'll get into this. Um, I, I will give a synopsis of each episode, or we'll, we'll t- one by one, and we'll talk about each episode one by one. The only thing worse than a stinking Fred is a stinking Decepticon. Shut up. <laughs> Forgive us. We've been fighting Megatron a long time. For which the Predacon Alliance is deeply apologetic, I assure you. Uh, this is why I am here. Covert Agent Ravage, at your service. The Agenda, Part 1, uh, written by Bob Forward, you know, one of the showrunners, you know, always reliable. Um, it basically opens up with uh, the Maximals tracking the transwarp-like wave 
that resulted from the destruction of the the planet buster that Optimus Primal sacrificed himself to destroy at the end of season one. And uh, the wave is actually traveling into the future and like will actually hit or at least pass by Cybertron and like enable Cybertron to locate them. So obviously, you know, the Maximals are very happy about this and they all, you know, start celebrating and acting goofy and whatnot. The flip side of this, of course, is that Megatron has also made the same calculations and uh, Inferno shows up and tells him that there's no chance they can exterminate like the early human tribes anymore since Dinobots like sacrifice like uh, enabled the humans to move out of that valley and scatter in all directions. So uh, Megatron has to put another plan into effect and uh, he pretty much lets uh, Black Arachnia like start spinning her webs because obviously like he, he sometimes he'll let Black Arachnia and Tarantulas like do their like treacherous actions because they and then he kind of co-ops their plans basically so that that seemed that worked for him in the last season finale so it seems like he's trying to foster that now um Silverbolt like flies out and meets with Black Arachnia. Apparently, he's been uh, seeing her on the sly in the past few weeks. Like a- after uh, them establishing a sort of relationship in uh, the episode Bad Spark, which debuted Rampage. Um, Silverbolt has uh, pr- procured a, a graviton generator for Black Arachnia, which he's going to later use to make a little hovercraft to get her to a certain location that like Megatron is hoping she'll go to, basically. And uh, you know, Silverbolt's kind of feeling guilty about it, and he he wants he wants her to like you know switch sides, but she's she's just, at this point she's just kind of using him and. Uh, you know, basically, she's got him by the balls, and that's Silverbolt's, yeah, hopelessly uh, smitten with her. So she's like, "This isn't season three yet." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she's she's still kind of a bad girl, and Silverbolt likes that. He likes Catwoman. She's, you know, she's the only involved. she's the only pair of uh, trans boobs on the entire planet. So yeah, I mean, it's he's true. Kinda, he's yep. kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, you know. It's true. Yep. But uh, in, uh, fun, in what note, a, um. For anybody who collects Transformers, as much as you might like Black Arachnia, her Transmetal 2 form is actually pretty fun, even though it's kind of top-heavy, no pun intended, and it falls over a lot. But I always thought it was so amusing that her original form was seriously just Tarantulas with a different head. Yeah, it's not even a different head. It's just like Tarantulas had two heads because of that like abandoned mutant head concept that never made it into the show. So I guess it's yeah. like the normal head is black arachnia and the mutant head is tarantulas. So, but yeah, um, so what you get from it is uh, tarantulas has tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, in, in any case, um, the transwarp wave like breaches, you know, transwarp space and it, it arrives in like Cybertronian orbit or at least like somewhere in before, like in uh, before it hits Cybertron, it hits the Predacon command like orbital platform and uh, the Predacons become aware of like where Megatron and the Maximals are. Um, the Tripredicus Council convenes. Uh, Generals Ramhorn, Cicadacon, and C-Clamp, which, uh, as I mentioned before, don't look anything like their eventual toys, or I I shouldn't even say eventual, their toys were out at this point, but, like, um... They're not even named, I don't think, right? They're just... You know, they're... 
according to the wiki, like they're named like their their actual names in the script, but like they don't give their names in the actual show. So, yeah. but um, basically, you know, they they hash out what's going on. They 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 know Megatron is is a sort of monkey wrench in their own plans. So they they have to like put a kibosh on this. So they they first of all they detonate one of their satellites in Cybertronian orbit which which I guess creates like a sort of gap in the transwarp wave so it won't hit Cybertron and I guess the Maximals won't be able to detect it so they can handle this situation in whatever way they feel like is uh you know appropriate and um they send they send a they have a new transwarp cruiser and they send a uh, 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 one of their agents to prehistoric Earth to go uh, basically you know take down Megatron because they, they they feel like Megatron's kind of stepping on their toes and they they're not going to tolerate any like rogue activity. Silverbolt returns to the Axelon. Um, it, it's on high alert because you know Optimus figures Megatron's going to try and make a play for the you know in, before any kind of reinforcements arrive. And uh, I, you I know, say, uh, just because uh, it doesn't figure into the story a lot, but one of the things I miss most about Beast Wars, I miss Sentinel. I love Sentinel. <laughs> yeah, Sentinel has to lower its shield, and you know, there's the auto guns and all that. So. But um, you know, Silverbolt is a victim of a little bit of needling by Rat Trap because it seems to be like an open secret that Silverbolt's like pretty much spit, smitten with black arachnia and like ev- everyone seems to know it like you know without saying it. So yeah, Rat yeah. Trap gets some like good digs on and you know they kind of come to blows and Optimus has to separate them and tell them to do their jobs. So but um. Anyway, uh, it looks like Inferno and Waspinator are going to do, like, they're setting up some device that, like, will maybe, like, drop the Sentinel's shield or something. But, like, Rampage just kind of, like, drives over it and just shoots the shield, <laughs> and which which actually is quite effective because it takes the shield down to, like, half percent, basically. I think they say it's, like, down to 40-something percent after one hit from Rampage's, like, missiles. Um you know, the Predacons, like, go full force, they, you know, attacking the base. Um, Optimus seems, like, holding out for, like, some kind of reinforcements from Cybertron, but they're not coming. So the Maximals are about to counterattack when the reinforcements do show up. However, no one can see what what reinforcements have shown up, but the Predacons come under attack by some kind of invisible ship. So Megatron's like, uh oh, like this 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 seems to be like an interesting turn of events. So he orders a retreat, like the Predacons like ditch. And um the transwarp cruiser lands and uh everyone like nothing happens basically until and the the Maximals are all kind of worried, and then like the, the roof hatch of the Axelon opens and Silverbolt using his like doggy nose, like smells or his his like Wolverine super senses or whatever. He smells something, so there's clearly someone present. And uh, Optimus Primal, being, you know, the history buff that he is, like, pretty much uh, guesses that it's a certain someone who uh, 
is invisible and uh, then shoots all the weapons out of all the Maximals hands. And uh, it's it's Ravage. Uh, yes, uh, the cla- the classic G1 character Ravage, who has been rebuilt Upgraded. as a Predacon. Yeah. yeah, like he's a he's a biped now. Yeah. And he and he and he talks like which is nothing new for like Marvel Comics fans. But like, he, you know, he got upgraded to Yakov Smirnoff with a Russian accent. <laughs> yeah. And he, I guess. He, yeah, yeah, I guess. Or maybe he always had a Russian accent. Like, who knows? True, like, yeah. But, no, I guess he didn't because he did talk in like that one episode of like G one where he was in, like like in Soundwave's chest, like he had to like sort of oh, like yeah, grab. Yeah, yeah. He had a sort of the gravelly. The is very very big. We should over dam, it right now. What a yeah. country! <laughs> over dam. What a but, country! So anyway, like Ravage is actually kind of like apologetic towards the Maximals. He's like, sorry, you know, I shot all your weapons out, but I didn't want you to like shoot me, you know, just because I'm so cool and awesome and scary looking. But um, basically Ravage feeds them a line where he's like, you know, oh, you know, the transwarp wave couldn't reach Cybertron. So like the Maximals didn't hear it, but the Predacons like sent me to like clean things up. So, you know, you're you're stuck with me. So everyone's pretty much kind of suspicious of this, but Optimus Primal's willing to, you know, take any anything he can get at this point back at the predacon base or the dark side black arachnia has like finished work on her little like hover craft like whatever she made it uh, i think she makes it out of a stasis pod or something but um megatron calls on her and he kind of like baits his like trap for her basically where he he calls on her and he's like you know uh hey you weren't at the battle today like what's going on and she's like oh yeah i was doing something else boss and he was like okay fine whatever then he he like very obviously calls waspinator over and he tells waspinator you know i need you to go to these coordinates and secure the area and black arachnia listens in and she i think she finally like realizes like the location that megatron is talking about so uh now she she's got her own plan ravage flies the maximals over to the predacon base on the the transwarp cruiser and basically the plan is yeah to take down the Predacons and arrest Megatron. Ravage kind of, like, uses his own cloaking ability, which I guess extends to the entire ship. So, like, that's that's the the, the source of the cloaking of the transwarp ship is actually, like, Ravage himself, it seems like. So that's, yeah, that, he has to plug into it, cool. yeah. Yeah, that, that was a pretty cool touch. The the transwarp cruiser like arrives at the dark side and uh, I like there's a there's a part where like uh, Inferno's like you know activate the scanners royalty and uh, Megatron's like don't bother and uh, it's because you know the ship is like cloaked and they can't detect it and it's right above them so uh, Ravage pulls like the lever release and dumps like all the Maximals like in free fall onto the Predacon base everyone lands you know there's a there's a bit a bit of a scuffle. Uh, everyone's pretty much either taken out or runs away. Like Rampage is like blown to shit by Ravage's transwarp uh, cruiser, and uh, Black Arachnia takes off in her little like hover pod, and Silverbolt is ordered to shoot her down, but he doesn't. And Optimus kind of has an inkling as to where she might be going, so he's concerned. And uh, 
anyway, uh, Ravage, like, blows open, like, the roof of the Predacon base and, like, infiltrates it. Megatron, like, is still ordering his troops to fight, but a bunch of, like, uh, like energy bonds, like, fall onto him and uh, Ravage, like, takes him into custody and he says, you know, on behalf of the Predacon Alliance and the Pax Cybertronia, you are under arrest. And then, I, you know, I, basically... I feel like nowadays when I see that, I keep th- I keep hearing like in my head Ravage going, yeah, as a duly appointed enforcer of the Thai Rest Accord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty much like that. And uh, you know, the Maximals uh, enter the base, and as far as they know, like the Beast Wars are over now because you know Megatron's in custody, and he's like, no. And then it like you know it, it fades out on a to be continued, and I, I thought it was funny. It's like it's like a to be continued, and I I almost felt like you know it, like it's to be continued while Megatron's like yelling no. So it's like how will Megatron get out of this one, like kids? Like and we're like wait a minute, we don't want Megatron to get out of this one. But okay, sure. But yeah, so that that's the next purple dinosaur time, purple dinosaur channel. Yeah. It's like, how will your best buddy Megatron get out of this <laughs> this crazy ass thing? Yeah, but but anyway, yeah. So that's the agenda part one. So, does, I I guess Tony, like, what are your thought your initial thoughts on this episode? Um, I, I will say one thing that is probably going to get me a lot of fanboy hate, and sorry, deal with it. I, I think uh, these first uh, few episodes of season two really resonate with me because it's my favorite cast of characters. And I'm not just talking about Ravage and the Tri-Predators Council, like, jumping in, but I like that the Predacons, like, Megatron's Predacons, had uh, Rampage, who was, like, their their ultimate weapon. At this point, uh, we haven't had Death Charge come in yet, so we just have a ragtag band of Maximals, you know, and, like, yeah, we have Air Razor and Tigatron, but they're not really a heavy focus in this uh, series of... Uh, episodes so we just have our core group and we get to see silverbolt grow as a character even in this first episode and of course you have rap trap rhinox and you know it's, it's i always call this like my favorite team team of uh opposing enemies and in this first episode we also get some political intrigue and i mentioned star wars earlier and not to take a dig at star wars uh the phantom menace but this is how you do political intrigue yeah secrets total secret brothers with you on that yeah definitely this was like really the first time we saw like any kind of like representation from Cybertron in the series, basically. Yeah, yeah. It, it, for me, like it, it's funny because I think I think seeing Cybertron is a lot like Boba Fett. Like, there's this danger that you could show so much of it, you know. Like, like I immediately think of like you know covering the the first episode of the Robots in Disguise cartoon from 2015 and. Bumblebee on Cybertron and Bumblebee at the museum and you're just like oh man like Cybertron's kind of like not as cool as I thought it was you know like type thing and I think with this it's like they're in the shadows like I know we were kind of making fun of it but it's like you know the idea that that that, that this this is this midnight meeting the secret meeting of of political aficionados it, it basically in you know for all intents and purposes even though there's no day and night on cybertron you know it's like in the middle of the night in the shadows and you you get the idea that there's like this rich kind of history like even beyond the autobots and the decepticons you know they're 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 kvetching about 
reparations that they had to pay because of what Megatron did. It's like, it's interesting. They, the council mentions like, yes, Megatron's brilliant. You know, yes. Like, like we do want to overthrow the Autobots or the Maximals, I guess in this case. And we are biding our time waiting to do that. So we're basically smiling, you know, through our teeth and, and waiting for the right moment to crush the Maximals, who basically have kept us in servitude this whole time. So you get the idea of what's been going on since, you know, basically the Autobots won the war with the Decepticons. But there there is that yeah, yeah, notion of... Like the Decepticons were like a big army. And then with this, you get the idea that, oh, Megatron actually is a guy who just leads a small band of criminals and mercenaries. He, like, he doesn't have the support of a big army, yeah. Yeah, and, and and you get the idea that basically they they want to do what Megatron is is daring enough to do, but they're trying to play what they think is the long game and preserve whatever sense of existing power they have, you know, like whether it's just being like this little council for Predacons and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, I just, all that kind of stuff I always found like really intriguing. And I think, I think the deeper you dig into it, I mean, I think that that sort of plays into like this, that sequence really sparked my imagination. And I guess you can never really, it's kind of like those things of people who, who had lines about the Clone Wars spark their imagination and, and, you know, basically the prequels couldn't deliver. And it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, the Cybertron of beast machines, or like I was saying, the Cybertron of robots in disguise or whatever, like those never really met my expectations because, this scene, like, as subtle as it was, you know, it just sort of sparked my imagination so much that I could see, like, all this... I, I don't know, it just it just seemed like a nice, subtle way of, of building a really rich world, and, and, and it made me want to see it. And and the, the other interesting thing is that, that I wanted to discuss about this episode is you, you talked about, Tony talked about this being, like, basically some of his favorite cast of characters and everything, and besides the fact that they had a specific amount of money to spend on each character design, so they all had to be very specific, it's like the writers really, you know, I mean, and this is true of, you know, all the seasons, I think, but they, they really were were very very specific in who these characters were and how they played off of one another and you know even yeah. if you're coming to this for the first time even if the agenda is the first episode you've ever seen you get the idea of who Optimus Primal is that he's an in-charge guy he's got some self-doubt but he cares about all his teammates and he wants this war on on this planet to basically end you know so you get the idea he, he's a good leader he cares about his troops and all this other stuff you know you get the idea rat traps a little unsavory you know he's talking about you know uh, uh fembots taking their their uh metal <laughs> pops off and all this other stuff you get the idea silverbolt's kind of straight laced for the most part, except for this relationship he has with Black Arachnia. So he's kind of, it, it's like you could argue, you know, him just being a straight-laced 
maximal and and the dudley do right of the maximals is one dimensional but the fact that he's got this ongoing sort of batman catwoman thing going on with black arachnia where he's he's walking that edge you know and he's he's skirting he's skirting the dangers of 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 fraternizing with the enemy you know that that his he even in that sort of dudley do right persona he's he's got a good sense of dimensionality to him. And, and the other thing that I love that I, I sort of forgot about until I was rewatching this for this show is I, I love the part where Cheetor doesn't quite get it. Cause he's a kid, you know, like he's, he's basically I, I a young it's, teen. It's, like it's like rat traps trying yeah. to, to appeal to, to silver bolts, machismo, his, his sense of like, yeah, the fembots, man, they, we're going to go back to Cybertron and they're going to take off their tops and we're going to, we're going to have a good time. And, and silver bolts kind of like, yes, I'm sure this establishment is like, oh, so refined and everything. And meanwhile, cheater's kind of like, dude, rat trap, we're going to go to like the Cybertronian fucking Disneyland and we're going to go on the, the, the rides and we're going to go on this and this. And he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, kid, whatever. Like, I want to see some ladies with their tops off. Like, I don't want to go to fucking <laughs> Disneyland, you know? And, and, and it's like, I, I love all that stuff because you, you just, you understand who all these characters are instantly. And, and because they're so well-defined and, and that those are some of the things about this episode that, you know, I, I just, you know, feel it's worth discussing and talking about that. I, I really love about it. I, I will say as far as Cheetor goes, there's ups and downs with this character for me. Um, the first season, he's a little too Bumblebee, and in season three with the Transmetal Two driver, he's a little too too. He's like he's like the worst version of Rodimus with his little fucking goatee and like you know I'm angry I can't do anything, but my anger makes me you know awesome. And I, I like Transmetal One Cheetor because he is still kind of a kid, but he does grow up and he grows up like a natural progression. I, I always thought that like they kind of fudged up a little bit when they, they did the whole primal scream, you know, like, I'm horny, you know, it's like... Well, you know, yeah. they're, they're doing that, that analogy to, you know, going through adolescence and, and all that kind of stuff, so, I mean, I, I get it, but you know, to, to me, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. still at this point here in this season where that that's you can see that his 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 topography of, of his character arc, you know, because that's, at this point, you know, fembots taking off their their metal tops or whatever the hell is not even he a, he's, it's not even a concern for him at this point. Whereas you you jump to those episodes later, you're talking about with Transmetal Two, where he's getting all hairy and you know it's like, oh, I'm growing me a little fuzzy mustache and and I'm starting to have funny feelings in my lower legs about black arachnia and all this other stuff. And you know, so it's like you know, I I, I just I sort of you know, it's one of those things where you you even seeing that that single scene. You 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 realize like oh it's great how you, you you know these guys had a whiteboard and there were all these different character arcs and they progressed how these characters were going to evolve as the seasons progressed and everything and and you know it's obviously it's it's much appreciated because these are rich yeah. developed characters and everything. Che- Cheetor does not have good luck in this episode. Like first no, of all, no. like in like first of all Silverbolt has to like forcibly shove him out of like Ravage's ship 
And then, like, he doesn't activate his jets until it's too late, and he crashes into the ground, and then his jets activate, and they yeah. push him into a rock. And then finally, <laughs> when he gets, when he finally transforms and gets into the fight, he gets, like, taken out by, like, an auto gun that's, like, right in his face, so... But, you know, I yeah, guess, well, like... Well, he, he did have that arc where, like, when he became a transmetal 2, it, it was really funny, because, like, Optimus Primal and Rat Trap, they seem to kind of adapt really quickly to their new forms. You know, Rat Trap's like, I'm a fucking hot rod, awesome. And Optimus Primal's like, you know, extreme, Mountain Dew, I got a surfboard. And, like, Cheetor was like, I've got rockets, I can go faster. Oh, shit! <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I just noticed it. I was like, man, like, Cheetor's like the Waspinator of this episode, basically. Like, Well, they, but... they, they seem to, I, I don't know if it was a mandate, like, like from, from the higher-ups or whatever, but it's like, it, you know, some of the tone, like, does shift in these episodes where it's like some some of it's deathly serious and some of it's kind of like, whoops, I bumped my head on the wall, like, you know, and I can see, uh, you know, birds flying around my head or whatever so it's like there's there's well, you know, yeah yeah so i was gonna bring, um, i was gonna ask you about the big elephant in the room if this is what you're gonna talk about i'm sorry i didn't mean to step on your toes what do you guys think about ravage yeah that's what I, where i was going next like oh like i like i said i had been spoiled so i was kind of like oh well that's kind of cool like i mean i i'd never had a huge like you know any kind of like affinity for ravage like before like in g1 like he was always like a guy you know like i was kind of like oh it's ravage yeah cool and i mean he he in the comics like i knew he talked so like i don't know were you guys like like scratching your heads at him having a russian accent or whatever i i was kind of like oh I, I was like some some characters in like g1 had accents and i mean like quick strike was like a cowboy so i was like okay well i guess you know to add like a certain like flavor to a character well, he, I mean, he is he is also supposed to be a secret agent too yeah like a spy yeah like, so i mean there there's it, it, that it's it, like an analogy for the cold war if, if i mean that sounds like it's reaching but he is well, yeah, I no. mean, I mean, think about it. This was this was 1998. I mean, you know, for all you want to say, I mean that that was still fresh in people's minds. I mean, and and this is all, you know, all all the the kind of insinuations that 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 these type of shows have. I mean, they were all very subtle. You know, this was, you know, obviously, like we said, the Tripartite Council was very political. But but it was very subtle too. It's like you didn't get bogged down in the mire where you know you're in the middle of a fucking Senate hearing and everything's fucking boring. It's like look, they had this secret little meeting. They're they're basically you know if basically the the idea you get from their little secret meeting is if Megatron's radical actions hadn't cost them anything in terms of their own political power, then they wouldn't have cared. But since it had ramifications yeah. on them, they're they're basically trying to hush this up and be like, look, let's 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 block this signal. Let's take care of this ourselves and sweep it under the rug. Damage control, anybody, damage control before yeah. before anybody else finds out, like pretty much all politicians. So so and you're you're just kind of like, OK, fine like that. I mean, you know, to me, it's like, yeah, that was what was going on then. It's what's going on now and it's what's going to go on forever. But but it's 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 not. 
you're not bogged down in that as far as the story. It still it still has you know the exciting you know fights and and the the great characterization and all that other kind of stuff to go with it. And as far as like Ravage showing up, it, it's weird. Like that's the only other thing. It's like I I wonder myself about like if there was some alternate universe where I had seen Agenda Part One first. I wonder if I would have reacted differently because for me, it's like I saw part three. So to me, it's like I almost any anything that was a little odd about Ravage, whether it's his accent or whatever. I, I think I kind of sidestepped it because of how cool I thought. Yeah, I, I, I guess my only thing is I think Ravage is pretty fucking important. Like, I know I know, you know, Mike, you have a tendency to be like, yeah, Bumblebee, you know, he's Bumblebee. You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, Optimus Prime, you know, he's Optimus Prime. And it's like, to me, I'm kind of like, well, you know what? Like, that that might be true. Like, they, they might be staples, and, and you take them for granted because they're staples. But I think in the context of this, like, you know, having not seen Ravage since, you know, the Marvel Comics days, right? I mean, that would have been the last time I would have run into Ravage in my history with him. You know, and then seeing him show up here, it was like, oh, wow, that's, to me, it's like, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, and... and, and, well, and I mean, there's also the fact that, like, it's obvious that, like, you know, in story, being a fan of G1, like, Rabbit was semi-important. You know, he was like, he was, he was, he was a good little jaguar. He was good at what he did. But obviously, he's got skills. He was, he was good enough at what he did to not only, like, adapt to survive. And like I said, this is just storyline that he actually got, like, a full-on body. And, you know, he doesn't... I mean, okay, well, we won't spoil that. But, like, you know, he doesn't turn to an animal, but he was so good at his job, he got, like, a full, like Mike said, bipedal body. By the way, if you want to know, you, that was actually based on Transmetal Cheetor with a different head, yeah. and for some reason Hasbro fucked it up and made Ravage Tripendix Agent with Transmetal 2 Cheetor's body. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I, well, that one came out, like, the next year, so I, I think they weren't able to procure, like, that, whatever, like, Takara made their own Ravage, basically. Yeah, yeah, with I, I think, yeah. yeah, I don't, I think Hasbro wasn't able to procure it to use, so they, they just kind of, like, fudged it, you know, the next year, and it's like, here's your Ravage, like, here you go. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't think, I mean, I, I guess maybe what you're getting at is, like, criticisms of, you know, somebody who only watched, say, the G1 cartoon and doesn't remember the Hoover Dam, you know, tape talking back to Soundwave or whatever, and and just thinks of Ravage as like, you know, basically a pet, right? Who just growls a lot and stuff, and then and then to go from that to this, right? But even then, like, I mean, e- even if, you know, I I mean, I I would be I would be willing to argue that in Beast Wars canon. The G1 cartoon is more like the little Covenant of Primus Bible that's not entirely real, and maybe the the comics are actually what happened or something like that. So that's always True. been my headcanon yeah. for 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 Beast Wars for the most part. But I mean, there's plenty of evidence with like Starscream and his spark never dying that that contradicts that too. That directly ties into the the cartoons and everything. But I mean, I think you could rationalize it either way. I mean, if he got a body upgrade, he could have gotten a voice, you know, like pretend you think Ravage doesn't have a voice, right? Well, if he got a body upgrade, part of that body upgrade was, you know, this, uh, Yakov Shmirnov 
voice box you know, or whatever. <laughs> to me, it, it, that those kind of things never really bugged me a whole hell of a lot. It was it was something where it was like, cool, this is... I mean, if anything, Ravage was probably the perfect guy to use because you had no preconceived notions of what what he what his personality was like, what he was supposed to sound like. You know, the, the only preconceived notions you knew was, on his file card, he was a saboteur. Well, he always, like, spied on people and hid in the shadows and did all this yeah. other stuff. Well, what's he doing here? He's working for the Tripredicus Council. Kind of a saboteur. Kind of a spy. Kind of working in the shadows. I mean, you know, so it's like, to me, it just seems like a, a logical choice and progression. An- another, another part of it is, like, I always felt like Ravage was, like, a survivor. And I was like, wait, Ravage, like, makes perfect sense as a guy who would, like, have survived through the Great War and, like, all the way, like, you know, to this era basically yeah I, I think another thing also is like um i'm gonna bring this up maybe a couple times during this uh series but it's, it's fan service done right because you don't want to bring in like you know like the star screams ghost episode is fine i had no problem with it some people didn't like the voice i understand they couldn't get chris lotta because he's dead but you know when they bring in ravage here's a guy who was a cassette but he was g1 People love G1. You have the truck, not monkey guys. You know, they're like, I love G1. Beast Wars is, you know, shit. And then they made Ravage to where, even though he was a minor character to some people's eyes, be badass in Beast Wars because he's a G1-er. He's like the original, like, you know, the conflict, the original, like, soldier in that battle. And he's a badass. And I think that was kind of like a nice little fan service nod is like these G1 bots. Like, the Beast Wars guys are not, you know, not, you know, chumps. They're not, like, pieces of shit. But when you bring in someone who has that experience, who was in that war, who 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 knows what they're doing, I think it was a nice little fan service out of, like, hey, listen, Beast Wars haters, we like G1, too. We love G1. And we're giving you something that not only is not only a logical nod, but it makes sense. Like Derek said, he, he fits his role as a saboteur, like, like you know, a cunning like smart guy he's he's good with his guns obviously but his whole role is you know playing one side against the other to get the uh the goal that he wants to achieve for the tripredis council so i think that was like a nice way to do fan service correctly he had a perfect amount of like fan aura basically like i think like he, he was in control of the situation you know he didn't look stupid and yeah, he he pretty much you know he, he did what he set out to do. I think yeah, they they showed like the proper respect for him basically. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I mean I even think the conclusion like I know you were kind of laughing about it like you know you know what is what is Megatron and and Rubber Ducky gonna do you know next Bat Time Bat Channel or whatever to get out of this one? But I I think in in that sense having a conclusion like that. You, you almost think like, well, wow, that almost seems like it was wrapped up too easily. Like, like what, you know, and, and it's not over. So, you know, like what, what, what else is going to go wrong? Like, I mean, it's, it's an interesting (laughs) angle to, to conclude on because they know they've got two other parts. And I think they, they don't want to blow their wad and, and sort of give you the most hair raising cliffhanger right up front. But but it is one of those cliffhangers where it, you know you basically raise your Spock eyebrow and go, 
fascinating you know like because you're like what what what's going to happen after this you know so you're definitely you're you're intrigued but it's not so much like holy yeah, shit i can't wait for the next episode but it's more like it's more like hmm well that th- this could be all wrapped up but it doesn't appear like it's going to be i wonder i wonder where they're going to go with this next you know and 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 yeah, i, I think that's a good way to story, yeah i think that's a good way to end it you know and, and leave you hanging yeah, definitely. Does does anyone else have anything else to say about this episode, or shall we move on to part two? I, I'm good. Let's. The um, only thing I'd say is uh, Ravage's ship is pretty, pretty fucking awesome. All that design. <laughs> yeah, very cool design. Yep. Okay. Well, let's let's move on to the agenda part two. I'm not expecting you to believe me. leader of the Decepticons, and if you are hearing this, it means I've failed this time. <laughs> but I know that transwarp technology is being developed, and so I leave this message to any Decepticon descendants that may find, may find, may find, may find. Shockingly enough, written by Bob Forward. We open up on a scene of Optimus Primal waiting in his office, doing his best, like, Patrick Stewart with his arms behind his back and, like, looking out a window or whatever. And um, he calls Silverbolt up to his office, and he pretty much confronts him about, like, the relationship with Black Arachnia. And like I said last time, it seems like it seems like it was, like, an open secret with the crew, like, last episode. But now it's, like, Silverbolt's, like, feelings for her kind of jeopardized, like, the, uh, the operation. And, you know, that that's now it's time for a talking to, basically. And, um... Silverbolt tries to defend yeah. himself, and Optimus Primal isn't having any of that because obviously, even though they have Megatron in custody, there are still Predacons like running around out there, and he wants this like sealed up now. And Silverbolt pretty much impeded that, so uh, Primal comes down pretty hard on him and tells him that he's sending Cheetor to go like retrieve Black Arachnia. Uh, Silverbolt, like, asks Optimus to give him the chance to do it, because he knows, like, Black Arachnia probably won't hurt him, but Optimus Primal's not gonna risk it, and he says, he tells Silverbolt that he's confined to quarters for the time being. On, on Ravage's ship, uh, Megatron's all restrained, and, uh, Ravage is, uh, giving him a talking to, and, uh... Ravage pretty much, you know, goes on and is like, oh yeah, you you have the name of my, you know, the the original Megatron, but you're, you ain't shit, man. Like, you ain't shit. Megatron, like, they, they kind of play a little back and forth where Megatron says, like, you know, uh, I've already figured out your ship doesn't have enough energon to get back home. So, like, you know, I have a I have a supply of uh, energon cubes, and I'll give them to you if you, you know, play ball with me. But uh, Ravage says that he can probably already locate those energon cubes because it's revealed that, like, I, I think I didn't mention it last episode, but, uh, like, Megatron's security, like, failed right before, like, Ravage broke in. And, like, they're, yeah. Megatron's kind of curious about this. And Ravage reveals that Tarantulas has always been an agent for, like, the Tripredicus Council and um, a member of the Predacon secret police. And um, 
if Megatron may probably suspected this, but like now he has like confirmation that like Tarantulas is kind of a mole, like and uh, that uh, he's always been on. Uh, well, obviously, tar- yeah, Tarantulas has always had his own agenda, but I think Megatron has a clearer picture of what that is right now. But uh, in it, whatever case, uh, back at the Axelon, uh, Cheetor's on his way to go like capture Black Arachnia, and he, uh, being you know the sweet kid that he is, he goes and he knocks on Silverbolt's door, and he tells him, you know, don't worry, you know, I'll bring your girl in with like minimal damage, and and Silverbolt uh, punches him out basically, like right straight through the wall. I too <laughs> am sorry. <laughs> yeah. I <remember> what. <laughs> <laughs> Cheetor's so dazed that like he, he he's like uh I'm okay and then yeah Silverbolt's like well then I am again sorry and punches him <laughs> out again. Yeah. I, I will say like one of the the highlights of uh, Beast Wars is a lot of the voice acting, but I believe Silverbolt is Brian Drummond, right? No, uh, Scott McNeil. Scott McNeil, and I, I I just love his like like Derek said Dudley Do Right voice. You know, I was like sorry. But I have to do this again, you know, just like he, I am again. Just, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Rat Trap like walks in on this and he he hits the alarm and Silverbolt's forced to flee and he blows his way out of the base and flies off. Uh, this, of course, is not sitting well with Optimus Primal because his like sort of neat, you know, they had it all like sewn up basically. And now that there's just more and more complications being thrown and like their path to ending the Beast Wars. Then we have a commercial break and uh, Cheetor and Optimus are on their way to uh, retrieve the Energon cubes that Megatron had secreted away. And they, they find they find like this cave and uh, but they, they find the Energon in there is actually like raw, like crystalline Energon. So like op- uh, immediately Optimus is like, you know, well, this has got to be some kind of a trap. And it is an Inferno appears out of the shadows and starts like shooting at them. Um, for the royalty! For the royalty! Of course. Black Arachnia's uh, flying off in her little, like, stasis pod, like, hovercraft, like, following Waspinator to those coordinates that Megatron told him to go to. And a Silverbolt catches up with her and tells her, you know, he tries to, like, get her to come with him back to the Maximals, but she, she ain't having it, and she shoots him in the leg. And uh, Silverbolt's still kind of like, yeah, but you didn't shoot me fatally, which means you love me. And uh, like Black Arachnia is starting to get on her last nerve with this guy now. And uh, while they're like, you know, flirting slash arguing, Waspinator comes to a halt because he's arrived at the coordinates. And he starts to like, you know, reconnoiter the area and then immediately gets like blown into pieces because (laughs) Black Arachnia's like hovercraft careens into him. Silverbolt saves her, and uh, they they uh, they go and they you know they, they yeah they have a moment and then they they head towards what Waspinator was going towards. Um, back at the the cave, uh, Inferno's like you know still has Optimus and Cheetor pinned down, but uh the the he's obviously he's not a transmetal and he's close to like the crystalline Energon, so he starts shorting out and. Uh, he falls to the ground and he's kind of like spazzing out and uh, Optimus and Cheetor approach him, but uh, in, clearly Inferno's, you know, not the, not the, uh, how do we put this? Uh, 
he's crazy, okay? Like, Inferno's totally insane and, and devoted to any anything that Megatron tells him to do. So he basically points his flamethrower at the Energon and, like, you know, lets loose. And uh, Optimus and Cheetor... For the royalty, like, again! Yeah, let's... Yeah, let's let's beat feet out of here. So Optimus and Cheetor run out of there, and uh, Inferno is, detonates the Energon and is quite clearly vaporized by the explosion that ensues. And uh, basically, Optimus and Cheetor like get out of there. Optimus radios Ravage and tells him it was a trap. And uh, Ravage, you know, confronts Megatron on it. And what is possibly, like, my favorite line from this episode, like, is Megatron's reaction, where he's like, Oh, oh no, really? Like, like I, I love that delivery. Like, it's like the, the most dickish delivery, like, ever. <laughs> like, But uh, anyway, Ravage has kind of had it up to here with Megatron's, like, still operating his own agenda, as he says. Like, you know, dropping the title. And, um... Megatron yeah, well, basically the, the, agenda, the agenda moniker comes up a lot because everybody has their own agenda in this like series, so it, it's a very apt title for the series. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Megatron pretty much is playing the game with Ravage, where he says like you don't you don't intend to take any of us back to Cybertron alive, and Ravage is like yeah it's it's true, but Megatron decides to like play his card with Ravage, and he 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 real he reveals that uh his his goal in stealing the golden disc was not just to find energon but he had a he had a secondary uh motive which uh he kind of kept in his back pocket for a while cuz it it's kind of a very extreme like you know sir in very extreme circumstance and it, later he'll reveal he was very reluctant to follow through with it but um Basically, he, he tells Ravage that the Golden Disk also had a message inscribed by the original Megatron, which basically told him, you know, to, if if it was possible, like, to alter time, or, or at least so, somehow, like, make it so the Decepticons would win the Great War if they lost. So it was kind of like a backup, or a, a Plan Z, or whatever, and... <laughs> who, who did that ravage will fall down to the fields the fields yeah exactly like what he called ravage is kind of having trouble believing any of this but megatron has still has a fragment of the golden disc even though it was destroyed by dinobot he still has like a fragment and it's able to prove he's able to prove to ravage what he's saying is true by showing him yes a very ble brief clip of the original megatron like outlining this plan to whoever might find the message and, uh, yeah, Ravage kind of, like, is is kind of like, oh, my God, this is the real deal. And he, he lets Megatron out, and he says, you know, let's let's talk. And, you know, they kind of they kind of look, they gaze lovingly at each other, basically. Hey, um, buddy. Yeah. You, you may read um, it that way. <laughs> yeah, you, you can. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I just want to raise that real quick before you uh, continue. Um, this, this small little interchange was so at the same time good and bad because uh Mike reminded me it was Gary Chalk doing Megatron for his voice. Which is not Frank Welker. But me and Derek apparently both loved this small snippet so much. It's both of our avatars. We were like, you gotta have Megatron talking and revealing <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I, I think if we were Ravage, obviously 
we would have let Megatron out of the cell based on nostalgia. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, (laughs) it's like, it could be like the worst criminal in the world, but then they like play a video of like old superpowers, like commercials. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, come on out. He's good. This dude's legit. Yeah. He knows what's up, you know, or whatever, like something stupid like that. I I do. I, I mean, part of me though, does have that weird vibe of like, you know how, like, if you think about it too hard, it doesn't really make sense? And this is not me trying to poke holes or flaws in, in the show. Like, I understand it was this sort of cleverly done scene where the characters are getting one-ups on one another, and eventually, you know, Megatron, you know, Beast Wars Megatron comes out the victor when he plays this this clip of the original Megatron. But, you know, sometimes I always think about it where I'm like, okay, Megatron wasn't, the original G1 Megatron wasn't vain enough to think he was going to win. So he put this message on the golden disc to change the past, right? But then it's like, part of me like starts to wonder, like, who did he expect to get this message? And did he expect them to just be as devoted as like Ravage would be? Or did it, it never occur to him that it might be somebody like, the person who took his name, like Beast Wars Megatron, who probably isn't nearly as devoted to anyone other than himself. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so like part, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of like trusting someone to carry on your legacy, but not being around to enjoy the legacy and like wondering like, well, what's the point of that? Like if that, I, I I don't know if you understand. Yeah, I get you. Well, like that's that's well, why I kind of I called it like Plan Z or something like you know. Yeah, yeah. Just, there's like, a there's, there is a cutscene where you know like Megatron they 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 didn't put it in Beast Wars, but he's like at the end of the message he's like, oh god, Dirge is reading this, isn't he? <laughs> He's like, oh no! It's like run, run about and run amok are the ones who are going to find this, aren't they? <laughs> They're like, ha, ha, hi, hi, run amok. Like, huh, look at this. Huh, what is it? What is it? What is it? Break, break the golden disk. Burn it. Burn it. Fire. 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 Fire basically um black arachne and silverbolt find like a tunnel or basically a, a, a huge mound of rubble that used to be a entrance to a mountain and uh, silverbolt's pointing out that it looks like someone dug it and then like sealed it and black arachnea finds like a piece of like metal with a predacon symbol on it and she's like oh you know this tell you anything and he's he says you know they they come to the conclusion that megatron had done it so you know the question becomes like what's in this mountain that's so important um and uh you know they start removing some of the rubble uh anyway uh optimus and cheetor are on their way back to base and they get a call from rat trap that pretty much tells them that ravage has decided to turn on them and to, on cue, you know, the transwarp cruiser comes up behind them with Megatron standing on its, like, cockpit. And uh, Ravage gives a snazzy, you know, Decepticons forever! 
and transforms into his tiny, teeny, tiny cassette mode and uh, enters enters the uh, Transwarp Cruiser's dashboard for little reason other than nostalgia, basically. And, uh, yeah. I just thought it was funny like, when he entered, like, you know, the the console and it, like, snapped shut. Instead of, like, an awesome attack, it was just, like, slow ride, take it easy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you gotta have that that old school transformation sound effect for. for yeah, that, that's pretty awesome. Yep, and uh, basically, yeah, yeah, the Megatron and the Transwarp Cruiser open fire on Optimus, and that's where it says to be continued. So that's the agenda part two. And um, let me just say, like when I I did a like last year I did a like top ten Beast Wars episodes, and I I didn't want to like cheat and do like like a sing uh, an entire like multi part like thing as a single entry, so I wanted to do single episodes. And this episode I decided was my favorite episode of Beast Wars because I think it's like it's exquisitely paced. Like every scene is not there's no wasted scenes. Like every scene is like important. And every scene is really, really cool. And even, even, even though, like, there, there are two like points that, like, behind the scenes where they couldn't do what they wanted. And the first one, as we've mentioned, is they couldn't get Frank Welker. Um, it says the wiki says that they were it was over budget, like they couldn't afford him. Like they, they even volunteered to fly out to like his home to record the lines, but they, it, it was still too expensive. And uh, so they just have Gary Chalk yeah, do a, a you know an impression of him, which is you know passable, passable. basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, and um, the other thing they wanted to do was when when Ravage transforms into the cassette and enters the like ship's like tape player or whatever, they wanted to play like the the original Transformers theme. But they, again, they could not c- secure the rights to that music, or it was Can just you far too. The cola? Yeah, it it was far too like expensive, I guess. So they could not do that. But they like the the uh, out of the triumvirate of like you know nostalgia like porn that they could do, they did at least get the original like transformation sound when Ravage transformed. So I think that that was enough for me, basically. Like when I, I, I heard that, that, I was like, oh, that's so freaking cool! Like yeah, yeah, that's but, the only time it was using Beast Wars, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. But um. Yeah, so, like, like I said, like, virtually every scene in this episode is just, like, so, like, so important to the larger storyline and just cool. Like, the opening scene, you know, I love the opening scene, like, uh, between Optimus and Silverbolt, because, like, uh, I feel like there's, that's not a scene you'd see, like, in, like, I don't know, G1 or anything, where Optimus Prime, like, pretty much reams out, like, one of his, like, you know, subordinates, yeah, he, basically. Like, Yeah, he's pissed, he's pissed at his, like, soldier for not following orders. He's like, I've dealt with your shit for a long time, and I was okay with it, but now you're fucking up. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, it, it, he feels like, you know, it feels like he could end the Beast Wars here, and then there's still, like, all these random elements that keep, like, you know keep them from doing that, basically. And uh, you could tell that Primal's kind of getting on edge, basically. One thing I was going to bring up is, like, you know, I think uh, I keep saying this, and I, I hate to keep pounding home, like, you know, maybe a dead horse argument or anything like that. But again, this goddamn political intrigue, the, the, the mind games are really good. I think this is why a lot of people love Megatron 2. That's what most people call him, Megatron 2. It is, like, he is in a bad situation he is like you know going to get like 
kowtow to, like, at the very worst, the Predacon Council, at the very least, get shot in the back of the head by Ravage. But with his smarts and his cunning and not only that, but his duplicity and ability to manipulate people. And that's why I like Megatron too so much. He's a manipulator. He knows how to like dig underneath that like veneer of who you are. Because Ravage, like you said, is very cold, very efficient. He knows what he's doing. But even with that, he knows how to hit his sore spot. He's like, I'm just doing what your original leader said, you know, but you want to do that? And he's yeah, like, like I think Megatron has, like, the ultimate, like, trump card in that argument, and he finally, like, plays it, yeah, there at the end. And, yeah, like, that's another, like, that all all the interaction between Ravage and Megatron is, like, awesome. Like, another great, like, series of scenes. And, like I said, when, like, my favorite line is still, like, you know, Megatron's reaction to Ravage saying, oh, so that was a trap, was it? And Megatron's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, really? I know, just so smarmy, yeah, like so, like perfect. Yeah, even yeah, at the it, point of, even at the point of uh, defeat, he still has a little bit of power. You know, he's, he still has that little yeah. bit of like, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you like that. Well, <laughs> like even even with the with the bonds on him, and he's in prison. I mean, he's still like he's still a presence, basically. So, and uh, I, I like I here's. The the third scene I just wanted to talk to about before I turn it over to you guys is that is the scene in the cave with Inferno and Cheetor and Optimus and I just like to say I think Inferno should have just stayed dead after this like this that was like a great like death scene for him basically but that was a, that I guess was a good crazy death yeah yeah like basically you know first of all Inferno's not a very deep character I mean he's a mem he's a memorable character but he's not very deep like he wasn't gonna he I don't fun. think they were yeah, I don't think they were going to do anything like major like characterization with him and they didn't in season 3. He's just himself for season 3. So like they should have like eliminated him and made some room in the budget for like you know, a new toy or something. But I think that's why he came back in season three as well, because he was an existing CGI model and it probably, you know, just cost less to like, you know, use him instead. So that's why I think he came back. And I, I love how he very clearly gets vaporized like here, yeah. but like at, at the beginning of season three, he just walks out of that cave, like all charred and stuff like nothing. It was like a friggin' like, uh, like Wiley Coyote, like TNT Acme TNT explosion or something. So yeah, I mean, there, there's I, it's it's weird how the the show, like I said, for me, it, it's always had that sort of duality in tone because of those decisions where you know sometimes people get clunked on the head and you're kind of like, oh okay, like then they they're fine, you know, basically. But you know, in, in other cases, you know, you're like, oh. Well, this character got enveloped by lava, and he was never seen again. You know, and it's like, okay, that's that's it for Scorponok and Pterosaur. You know, and they never come back. Yeah, you know, yeah. so like conceivably, Inferno could have gone down that road, but in this case, you know, especially like with stuff like Rampage and stuff, I guess we'll talk about that too. But there's there 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 were uh, it, it's weird. I think at the time I was seeing this, and what made 
these episodes so great was I thought, you know, not to not to put a point on it, but I know some people had their reaction to the Dreamwave comics and, and different things later on where they felt like, oh, finally, Transformers is being taken, quote unquote, seriously. But I think moments like these, when I did have the impression that you did, that Inferno was vaporized, like I took this very seriously because I was like, holy crap, they like actually like killed somebody, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. You know, and it's like, I think, you know, going into season three, when when a lot of that stuff turned out to be, you know, a faux death, you were kind of it wasn't the end of the world because you enjoyed the agenda for what it was, but sort of after the fact, it's kind of like, Oh, well that's, that's too bad. I wish, like you said, I I wish that would have been the end of, of his story instead of, you know, just rolling him out because he was a, a cheap alternative to creating a new, you know, CGI model or something. I think there's also like a duality of popularity because, like Mike said, he's not a very complex character, which I agree with. <clears throat> but he's really fun. A lot of people love Inferno. And <clears throat> the biggest problem was when they did the Transmetal arc, when they like altered Transmetal, Mike would agree with this. I know you probably would too, Derek, if you saw the toy. I think he saw the toy, probably. His Transmetal form, which was not actually named Inferno, it was named Scavenger or something like that, um, was horrible totally a shitty toy and i think they were just like they, they came in across was were like oh we really wanted to make inferno like a transmetal but this toy looks like ass so <laughs> i, I like scavenger oh you do? i think oh, okay. it's a good yeah i think it's a good toy but i i, I it was well, funny like the story the story is the reason why it was named scavenger because in the first Inferno was such a friggin' shelf warmer that they, he was still, like, clogging shelves at that point. So they had to, like, yeah, name yeah, it yeah. something else. Yeah, because they yeah, were I, like, I wait think, a minute. I think that worked to my advantage, because I remember being able to actually find an Inferno even long at, You know, basically by this point in, in the series, after he was not a a new toy, you know, and going like, oh, wow, I get to have one of the, I was all excited about it. I was like, I get to have one of the main characters, you know, or whatever. So Inferno was a solid block case, basically. Like he was the only figure in that wave. So that's probably why he became such a shelf clogger. Well, and not only that, but like the, the problem with Inferno is like, I, I had, I had the toy. I, I sold it. I, that should tell you something right there. The ant mode, he he collapses on himself a lot. He can't. He, he's a sleeping ant. He's just like, for the royalty, I'll take a nap. And then when he uh, transforms into his robot mode, the robot mode is so much kibble and like the joints are loose and the face sculpt is great. I love the face sculpt. I'm like, that's the one redeeming quality. I'm like, oh, that looks like the goddamn mainframe version. Love the face sculpt. But a lot of the people I know, and a lot of us make fun of it, and it's, it's shown in the show very prominently, which is which is something that makes me laugh, is his butt thruster propeller. Yeah. I, I was just yeah. always sad he didn't come with that giant gun he always carries around in no, the yeah, show. Yeah, he has like a little spring launcher. He doesn't have like a big flamethrower. He just has yeah, like this whole Yeah, I was always kind of pissed off about that. But yeah, like yeah. I mean, 
if if they brought him back as like scavenger or whatever in season three i mean at least that would kind of be a little different but like you know that would probably cost too much money for a toy that they weren't selling like or they they weren't it was still kind of old at that point so no, that's, that's cool that you like the scavenger toy I, I don't know a lot of people who do i like i said i bought retracts i can't give you shit <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, even just because a toy's a shelf warmer doesn't mean necessarily mean that toy was bad, basically. So, like, I mean, I like Injector, and Injector was a horrible <laughs> shelf warmer too. So, but. yeah, but uh, as far as like the, this this episode, uh, a couple of things I did want to hit on is, yeah, I, I really did like that, like that uh, dressing down of Silverbolt because. That seemed like something Optimus Prime would never do, because, like, Cliff Jumper almost killed Hound, and he was like, it's all right, Cliff Jumper, Hound will make it through, you know, it's just like, dude, he almost killed his friend, and, like, it, it seemed more realistic, of course, which is something we've, we've hit on before, this has, like, actual moments, and I, I think another thing is, not just that Megatron was a duplicitous, you know, snarky, smarmy, nibbling asshole, but Ravage, it wasn't just that Ravage saw like his old commander telling him what to do, but it adds layers to a character who's only been two episodes at this point. And you actually kind of feel not bad for Ravage. He's a bad guy. He's he's following like the evil orders. But you're like, oh, he's loyal. Oh, you know. Yeah. Like I said, it gives you. Like Derek kind of said, it's like a yeah, it's like a meta thing almost like where where. You know, as soon as Ravage saw that, he was like, oh, my God, like, G1, like, like, I'm in, like, I believe this guy, like, unreservedly now. Well, to me, and then and then they have the layers of what they were playing with originally. It's like what you were saying, that 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 Beast Wars Megatron basically is a force to be reckoned with, even when he's locked up. And and to me, like, I can't help but think of of you know, Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, you know, I can't help but think of like a Hannibal Lecter type guy who is still explicitly dangerous, even though he's locked up, you know, and people are still deathly terrified of him. So they, they, they have that vibe to it. And it's almost like, you know, Anthony Hopkins is like, and yes, and I really love Captain Marvel comics, and I read them when I was a little boy. And you're like, oh, well, Anthony Hopkins really did read Captain Marvel comics when he was a little boy, so it's almost like me going, oh, come on out, bro. Like, come on, let's eat some some uh, liver with some fava beans. Like, come on out, let's, <laughs> let's do this shit. And, and, and that's kind of what happens here, you know, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's like Megatron like, came up to me and was like, oh, Tony, I see you have a lot of Eagle Moss Batmobiles. I have the whole collection. Would you like to see? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's go kill people. <laughs> like, like I said, like a lot of people say Megatron 2 is their favorite version of Megatron, even loving G1 Megatron. And it's because, like, like not only did David Cave, like, nail the voice. Like he said, uh, Mike, you know, that, that blind delivery of, like, just how, you know, just, oh, there's a trap. <laughs> just, but not only that, but just... He he exudes a power. He's a presence. And when you like see Megatron two in Beast Wars, you don't you don't think he's uh uh you know a scrub. You don't think he's like, oh, he's just a criminal. He is just a criminal. He's got like, you know, some basic plans, but he also has deeper plans. And when you find out those deeper plans and you see what he's willing to go to to achieve them, you're like, 
this is a scary motherfucker. Like Derek said, like Hannibal Lecter, he's like, he has like these basic ideas to get to what he wants for that. Like, again, the Tripartitus Council doesn't understand he has a long-term goal and they don't understand it. And that's what makes him a scary adversary. I like how Optimus Primal has a little like, like <laughs> gorilla statue on his desk, but that's just a little thing. Like it's like it looked like a little like gorilla like Grammy or something or Oscar. Like he was like, I won this for being best gorilla. Like I don't know. They, they gave it to me and forgot a surfboard. <laughs> I just found that funny. I know he knocks it over when he bangs on his desk. Like when he's getting mad, but you made me knock over my 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 gorilla or whatever. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, another thing I enjoyed about this episode is the, the interplay between Silverbolt and Black Arachnia. I mean, I, I, I know that that's something that, you know, whatever you want to call it, people who were shippers of, of that relationship. I mean, if you if you enjoyed it at all, this is the right time to enjoy it, you know, like because it's it's sort of at its height. It's not quite completely I, I know like you're saying it's exposed and he's getting chewed out about it but again she's not completely on board with being a maximal he's not completely on board with her doing what she's doing you know but yet they're still you know they're, they're still unavoidably connected and attracted to one another so it's it's kind of ironic you know it's sitting there like you know basically you e even being a young man at the time watching it you know tony i think said he was you know 22 and i think i was like 20 or whatever but you you, you as a young man going through the pangs of relationships you could completely understand like wanting to make out with a chick who was also willing to shoot you in the leg i mean like because you know meta metaphorically like that that's what happened to you all the time you're like oh i really like this girl this girl's great you're like you shot me you know like holy shit i still get to see them titties though you know? yeah and it's like it's like you know and, and of course you know being a woman she of course has a response for everything it's like you know he, he's like you you can either you know like a guy it's all black and white and shit where it's like you can either shoot me or you can you know kiss me but you have to make a decision and she's like you're an idiot i can do both because i'm a black widow spider like girl power you know and all this kind of stuff and it's like it's so, it's, so, so if you ship them Derek, would they be called a couple as black bolt <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah huh I like one of my other fate one of one of the other things that makes me laugh in this episode is when Silverbolt addresses her as citizen. Like <laughs> stands aside, citizen. They, they, they like, really played with the the subtext of it too, because you have like the the reference that he's the Dudley Do Right character, and he's the way he howls like a police siren to pull her over in in her little you know hovercraft yeah. you're talking about like it's it, it, it does have vehicle, that yeah. it does have that meta thing where it's like you know and it's like oh you know and then and then him calling her citizen is also sort of an indication of that you know where it's like pull over ma'am uh, i need to see your license and identification it's like oh really you know and it's and, like and, and like she actually does play with that too she's like oh what did i do wrong officer she didn't say that but like her tone of voice is like, oh, what's going on? You know, like that, like, yeah. oh, I'm just a, a 
yeah, a sexy female who got pulled over. What's wrong? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She totally plays into it, too. I mean, it, it, it's like in the beginning, you know, in that first episode, you know, something we didn't talk about was their their first interaction is almost like this weird sadomasochistic role playing thing where it's like you like yeah. bad girls don't you it's like i'm gonna walk up behind you and hold you at gunpoint and it's like you don't really think she's gonna shoot him it's yeah. more like it's like why'd you bring the gun it's like because i thought it'd be like more kinky and shit it's like oh okay you know like and that's basically it's funny because it's like this is written for kids but it does have that like you're saying it's it's political it's it's also uh sexually aware without being so a and 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 ridiculously obscene that it alienates its actual audience you know but if you're yeah. you know kind of kind of like how you describe a lot of the comedy as like warner brothers type stuff it's like there are layers to it but it doesn't alienate you know basically it's like the you know looney tunes is for little kids right but at the same time it's also some of the humor is written for adults too and and if you watch it when you're you know 20 30 40 you know you get another layer of subtext to it but when when a little kid's watching it it's not like their you know their their minds are shattered forever because i don't know they saw yeah, yeah. they saw catwoman fucking batman on a rooftop or whatever you know it's like yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not quite that obscene but but you know there there is that when you're when you're looking at it you're like oh these guys are kind of into some kinky ass shit you know like they they, they like <laughs> you know pulling over each other and, and she likes she likes him being the dudley do right guy because she's like i'm gonna corrupt this dudley do right guy and make him do what i want and he's kind of like i'm gonna fix this lady and she's gonna you know she's gonna see the light and become a maximal you know and and, and they're they're sort of each in their own sort of uh, you know, they like 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 Tony's saying, they each sort of have it's, it's, it's like a real attraction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will say this, and again, I may get fan hate for this, um, just because of what Mike said about this being his singular episode that he picked out of the Agenda trilogy, um, which the third part is not bad. We'll, we'll obviously get to that when Mike does the synopsis. But I, I think this actually had kind of a Empire Strikes Back feel, because it's like, you know, the first episode is like, oh, man, Ravage is here. He's kicking Predacon ass. He's, like, took Megatron into, like, custody. Peace towards rubber. And it's like, oh, shit, Ravage is going to kill us. Like, it is yeah. It is kind of like one of those things, though, where they were already suspicious of him at the outset. Well, yeah, and, yeah. Th and then they sort of let their guard down. You know, like, I think if they had maintained that suspicion, that maybe they wouldn't have been caught so unawares. But I, I, yeah. I just thought it was, like, a, a, a really good, like, you know, the, the reason The Empire Strikes Back works is for one reason. It's a downbeat in the middle of a story that's very hopeful. And that's what the agenda did. They gave us a very hopeful beginning, even though there was, like, like me and Derek have stated, a lot of poli political intrigue and, like, a lot of, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff. And we knew Ravage was going to be bad. As an audience, we knew he was going to be bad. But we also weren't really sure if he was just there to get Megatron. He might not give a shit about the Maximals. Possibly. I mean, there was that small caveat. You know, it was like he might just want to get Megatron. We know better, obviously. But with the second installment, we're like, you know, when, when Ravage doesn't turn heel, he just turns more heel. 
I think he just got a taste for like the good old days, basically at that point where he yeah. was kind of like, yeah, like we're fighting, you know, the descendants of the yeah, Autobots, yeah, he's like, like, say, like yeah. stupid Autobot. He's like, I'm yeah, he's like. <laughs> I well, think at that point he was just like, "All right, this is this is great." Well, like, it's kind of like what what you were talking about before, how he's a survivor, and to be a survivor, sometimes you have to do distasteful things. You have to accommodate certain certain elements just to, you know, remain afloat in the the way the society has taken different shapes and turns and everything. And this was just an opportunity for him, where it's like, "Well, wait a minute, like." It, I'm doing this so I can keep fitting in with the current society. But basically what, what, you know, Beast Wars Megatron is telling him is we can enact the plans of your old leader and that society that you're, you're basically oppressed under is going to be no more, you know? So it's like that, that, you know, and, and, and that idea that you're talking about that he's just getting back into the vibe of the, the good old days, you know, the way things used to be. And it's kind of like, Oh, great. Like now I can just be, you know, I, I basically, he doesn't have to be a, a, a discreet spy in this case anymore. It's like, I can just fucking blow away maximal scum and, and you know, that, that'll be the end of it. Yeah, I, like yeah. I said, this this is a really strong episode. I, I agree with you, Mike. I, yeah, I would... great, great cliffhanger, great, great everything. Like everything, like I said, it goes from strong scene to strong scene. So, I guess we'll we'll take a little break, play, play a commercial, and then we'll come back and discuss the agenda part three. So, stay tuned. Thirty years ago, I walked into a comic store, and I picked up. G.I. Joe and the Transformers number one. A month later I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story, a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, We're discussing the agenda. I will go into the synopsis for part three. Stay with the group. When Megatron lands, we'll need all our firepower. Where's he headed, Big Bot? To the beginning of everything, Cheetor. And quite possibly, the end. Obviously written by Bob Forward. So we open up with uh, Ravage and his uh, transwarp cruiser uh, taking pot shots at the uh, Axelon. Uh, and uh, Optimus and Cheetor try to like fight back, but they're they're also under attack by Rampage and Quickstrike, who show up to 
what do you call, provide some ground support. Cheetor manages to shoot down Quick Strike, and then Rampage runs him over, because Rampage don't give a sh- no shits about nothing. And uh, <laughs> But uh, Optimus and Cheetor kind of get shot down by Megatron, because he's still... Uh, hanging around and watching, you know, he's having the time of his life right now because he's got, you know, Ravage on his side. And uh, <laughs> this ship actually works. Yay. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of he's really happy about that. Basically, Ravage uh, tells uh, Tarantulas, who is aboard the Transwarp cruiser, to like f- focus all the power to the weapons and they're going to like destroy the base inside the maximal base like uh rat trap and rhinox are kind of like oh crap we're screwed like the shields are going to be down in seconds um but rat trap uh has rhinox drop them for like a split second and uh ramps up uh off the base in his like rat dragster mode and lands on uh the transwarp cruiser and starts trying to like penetrate it and infiltrate it rampage fires a huge missile like at the sentinel shield and like finally breaks it and rhinox comes out and does some john woo gun fighting with him finally right uh what do you call it? the the transwarp cruiser deploys this like massive missile that's about to like no doubt to destroy the axelon but um Rat Trap finally manages to chew his way through the the hull of the ship and gets inside and uh, throws some magnetic bombs on Tarantulas's hands, which uh, detonate and uh, take tar- Tarantulas out of commission. My, at the time, I, th- I thought maybe it had killed him too, and uh, the the it becomes a giant fireball which reaches all the way to the cockpit of the transwarp cruiser and consumes ravage as well who goes down with the ship yelling you know decepticons forever yeah so uh the the transwarp cruiser crashes uh rat trap manages to jump out of the way and uh rampage manages to outrun the transwarp cruiser as it like glides along the ground and like almost crushes him but uh it stops a couple feet away from him so rampage laughs and then the giant missile that was armed like goes off and like blows rampage to kingdom come so yeah that and that's the first like seven or eight minutes of the episode is this massive fight scene basically and um once once again megatron has managed to pluck defeat from the jaws of victory or at least uh, no i guess it wasn't really i guess it wasn't really his fault it was just rat trap managed to be badass and like do stuff so uh megatron like isn't it funny that the saboteur took out the saboteur yeah i was gonna say uh rat trap out saboteur ravage basically but um uh, Megatron takes off in, in flight mode, back, and he's headed towards uh, where he sent Waspinator and Black Arachnia back, basically. And Optimus Primal has a sneaking suspicion he knows where they're headed. So he knows there's it's not the time to hold back, so he has Rhinox come with them. And uh, Rhinox jumps on you know Primal's hoverboard, and Rattrap jumps on Cheetor, and they all take off after Megatron. Um what's your reaction to uh, Rhinox on Mike, uh, 
on Primal's hoverboard mic. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I love, yeah, I noticed it this time, but, like, Rhinox keeps, like, looking down off the sides of Primal's hoverboard and looking all panicked and stuff, like he's afraid of heights <laughs> or something, so I thought that was, like, a little yeah. cute, like, animated thing they did in the, the on the side. But, um, I, speaking of Black Arachnia, like, back where they are, um, her and Silverbolt, they've managed to like blast their way through that tunnel that was sealed, and they're they're they find out they're within a volcano, and what do they find? But the Ark. So clearly, it, it's weird. Like, it seemed like it is Mount Saint Hillary. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say. I guess they are where what will become like Oregon, basically. But like it feels like they must have like flown across like a a couple continents to reach it because it seemed if if like the be the beast wars initially seemed to take place like somewhere like in Africa would be because there were like cheetahs running around and whatnot so it, you know they flew well, I mean, a pretty long way. Well, G one they were like in Oregon, and they'd be like. There's something going on in New York City, and they would turn into cars and be there in like 20 minutes. So I mean, yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. So you figured they were flying for at least a few hours or, you know, whoever, however long it takes them to get there. But, but, um, in whatever case, uh, you know, Black Arachnia does like, uh, I guess Jim Shooter like poked Black Arachnia. So she gives a, you know, explanation as to what the arc is. And, uh, you know, well, I guess, no, it's, it's, it's new information, I guess, for some new people, for other people who like have no, uh, no no uh context for this basically and uh you know she explains about the ark and the autobots and the decepticons and the great war and all that and you know we get to see some flashbacks and uh of optimus prime and the autobots on the bridge of the ark and um i, I was gonna ask you uh mike um and derek too uh just because i want to throw this in here while you're doing the synopsis just for a uh, immediate reaction when you were watching this for the first time, when you saw that, like, quote-unquote G1 goodness, even though it was CGI, I mean, I didn't cry, I didn't get emotional and stuff, but I was like, holy shit! (laughs) I know, I I, I, I think I got emotional, but not in a, like, you know, I wasn't getting teary-eyed, it was just like, wow, this is super, super cool, like, I I got excited, I mean, like like I said to you guys, this... This kind of stuff reignited my whole passion and the the fact that it was like this was something that sort of, you know, acknowledged the old, but was but the new was was very, very good. But, you know, what Mike's talked about to this point, you know, the the John Woo gun action battles and, and, and the 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 humor even in, you know, Rampage getting blown up, you know, and you're like, wow, this is a great. You know, like you're like, oh, it's only been seven minutes, and all this cool shit went down. You know, and and now and now we're getting a nostalgia trip. You know, so it was like all that stuff was was very very exciting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, after uh, Black Arachnia's little like history lesson, like Megatron shows up there and he knocks Silverbolt out, and uh, he seals the the he reseals the cave entrance again. So and the maximal when the maximals arrive, they have to dig, start digging. Basically, Megatron, you know, 
notices that, you know, uh, Teletran 1, or Teletron, as he says, still protecting the Ark. So, and he also knows that, you know, since he's no idiot, he knows that Black Arachnia copied the contents of, like, the golden disks and the security codes, like, to her own head. So, uh, he, he pretty much, you know... Uh, demands that she opens the Ark for him, but she's not going to play ball until Megatron threatens Silverbolt. And we finally see that she does kind of have, like, uh, some kind of regard for Silverbolt because she's she's getting a little, like, frightened that Megatron might actually kill him. Anyway, uh, the, the Maximals finally break through, and Black Arachnia finally decides to use the codes to at least escape from them. So her and Megatron manage to enter the Ark, and Optimus sees this, and he's like, By Primus, no! He's pretty, he's pretty distraught, so... Anyway, uh, within the arc, uh, Black Arachnia turns on like the the arc's like you know offensive defense weapons and like uh, they start opening <laughs> fire. Teletron on one. <laughs> yeah, Teletron one, and they they start opening fire on Optimus Primal and the the Maximals and uh, all of them, uh, you know, decide they have to get in, so they they start firing back. Megatron tells Black Arachnia just to keep them busy while he goes and, you know, he says he has a permanent solution to the situation. So he walks off. He, he Basically, Megatron goes and he goes to where all the Autobots and Decepticons had fallen, like, after the Ark had crashed and, like, where they were fighting. And uh, his he he flies past a lot of you know recognizable cameos, and he yeah, he finally exactly. comes he comes face to face with Optimus Prime. He like like I said he he seems like he he even admits that he was kind of reluctant to do what the original Megatron like asked him to do because it, it is it is a huge risk. And he calls it, like, the ultimate gamble, like, you know, because how does he know, like, the, the future will be any better if he does this thing? So, but, you know, yeah. he, he decides... He's, forgiving, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of backed into a corner at this point, so he decides to do it. Um, Rat Trap pulls off, like, a skill shot and, like, destroys, like, <laughs> the Ark's, like, main cannon, like, so they manage to disable that and disable... It causes a backblast that disables Teletron 1's shield, which knocks Black Arachnia out as well. And, uh, you know, Rhinox starts, like, trying to pry open the doors while, so they can get inside. Meanwhile, Megatron uh, sends all his remaining power into his weapon. And, uh, you know, he gives this pretty epic speech where he, he's... Uh, he's talking about how the the since the, the autobots were the, the autobots defeated the decepticons it's like you know the predacons are under the maximals heel and, and now he's going to change that and uh he he fires his full power weapon into optimus prime's head which fatally wounds optimus prime or or near fatally wounds him and immediately, as Optimus Prime's, like, you know, life signs begin to dip, like, it causes a temporal storm, which, uh, you know, cascades outward outside, out of the arc, and begins, you know, affecting everything. And we see, like, the Maximals start to be, like, unmade, and, like, Optimus Primal, like, sort of shifts through a bunch of his old, like, forms and stuff. 
Megatron comes out of the Ark and he he's, he pretty much feels like pretty triumphant and he's like, you know, you no longer exist. And then we get a to be continued with a question mark, which was kind of ominous at the time, but uh, for real life reasons. But yeah, so that that's the agenda part three. So, uh, yeah, like like at the time, like it like uh, we didn't know if like the Beast Wars was going to come back because like I know for a fact that I had already known that reboot also had like a sec, like an ending like this where like it was to be continued yeah. with a question mark. And like we were like, uh oh, is the show going to end with like on a cliffhanger? So everyone is kind of worried at this time. But, you know, eventually we know it did come back and there was a conclusion. But uh, this was a pretty epic way to close out the season, I'd say. I think the biggest thing is, like, despite the budget, they pulled that G1 thing, that G1 card, where if this had been, like, the series finale and Megatron wins, it would have knocked you on your ass. If this had been the end of Beast Wars, you'd have been like, yeah, obviously, we know what happens. Spoilers, Optimus Prime Prison, Optimus, uh, Optimal Optimus. But still, when you saw this, you're like, shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I think, like, this, to me, goes down, like, if, if I was doing a a list of, of great epic season finales, you know, like, like what this immediately made me think of is a lot, a lot of people always bring up the best of both worlds on The Next Generation and that whole thing of, yeah. you know, Riker coming up and seeing Locutus and, and going, like, all right, everybody, like, fire, you know, and, that, and it's like, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. and everybody was like losing their crap and they're like what you mean we gotta wait till next fucking season to find out what happens and and this know, is the, right? yeah. th- this is the exact same thing you know it's like this really really epic kind of almost you know crisis on infinite earth's level temporal storm that's just creating havoc and everything and and the idea that that you know he's basically blown optimus prime's head off you know and and it's like that's you know and 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 for anybody who doesn't know the significance of that you know it might be like some some rogue nation going back in time and blowing away george washington or something and you're just like oh my god like what what did you just do you know like and it's like you know that's that's why you know primal you know as much as you want to joke about it it's like you know imagine imagine uh you know so, some some enemy nation going into the White House and you're just like no you know and you're like freaking out about it because because you know how important the person is to your to your current history like where you would not be without them and and you know that that kind of those kind of stakes I think really just you know made this finale like super super epic and and something that yeah. you were just like oh my god I can't wait to see like you know what what what's going to be next and I can't believe they did that and how are they going to get out of this and you 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 were you were on the edge of your seat the whole time and and I think that's combined with you know I mean obviously some of it's combined with nostalgia but it's weird I feel like I feel like this show like this particular episode for me it's hard for me to be objective because I feel like I've got like double nostalgia blinders it's like there's the oh, nos- yeah, yeah. there's it's like there's the nostalgia blinders for all the g1 references which even if if, if this episode was totally boring 
you you'd just be like, well, at least it had those cool little nods to the old show. But this show wasn't. I mean, it was like you you had seven minutes of of really awesome action and cool nods to other movies and and things like that. And then you know you you've got all this on the edge of your seat stuff where you're like, well, what what are they gonna do exactly? And then he actually goes through with the plan, which is to basically change time. And and you know at that point, I mean, I'm sure we'd all been experienced enough in whatever fantasy and fiction you know type genres that we you know we knew yeah, about yeah. you know the consequences of, of doing something like that and changing time and 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 the kind of havoc that would create and everything you know and and so for for me like i said it's it's kind of like i'm wearing a double set of nostalgia goggles and it's like you'd be hard pressed to to get a negative comment out of me on this episode i mean this you know like 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 mike was saying about the agenda part two i mean this for me you know outside of like code of you know code of the hero is probably you know one, one of my favorite beast wars episodes period i mean i i think it's you know i mean obviously like you know you you can go back and and see how how it was resolved and i think a lot of these things that have such awesome cliffhangers don't always get resolved in the most, yeah. the most satisfactory yeah. manner you know but but that doesn't take away from the the engagement and and kind of thrill you felt when you were watching this episode and you didn't know what the outcome was. yeah like i i guess this is more like a of a discussion about like optimal situation but like what I what I had like like thinking after watching this episode and like having all that time in between season two and season three to like you know speculate and like wonder about what was gonna happen, like I took like the end of this episode as Megatron killed Optimus Prime and everything was going to change and like I thought maybe yeah. like next season it was gonna start in an alternate timeline or something and then maybe there'd be like you know the one person who remembers like the old timeline and they'd change it yeah, or whatever that track was but yeah, but, like, you know, optimal situation, like, kind of, it, it seems to open with, like, a rewind of, like, the last couple minutes where it's like, no, no, it's still, like, you know, being undone. Like, there's still time to stop this. So I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of cheap, but whatever. It's like, Hop, yeah, Hop Harrigan crashed into a mountain. No, wait, he didn't. He jumped out of the plane <laughs> yeah. before the plane hit the mountain. Yeah. 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 I, I was going to bring this up. It's like, there's there's a popular meme and trope on, online. Like, oh, read my childhood. Oh, turn my childhood into shit. And you know what's really fucking funny? Megatron 2 raped your childhood. He killed your hero when he was, like, comatose. <laughs> and you know what? It was fucking awesome. And, and by the way, we didn't mention this uh, throughout the series. <clears throat> the Predacons are, like, not even half the size of Autobots. Um, there, there's, there's a, a theory that like Predacons are made from Macromasters and, uh, the Autobots are called bulks. They're called larger transformers. Megatron is like the size of Optimus's head. Almost. He's small. He's tiny. And with one shot, he erases history. I mean, it's you not know, like, like, I don't know, like, I, I didn't have a problem with it, because, I mean, it's not like Optimus Prime, like, got up and fought back or anything. I mean, it's not like, you know, Megatron made him his bitch or something. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, So, yeah. it's, a, it's like, no, the no, guy no, was, a, the guy was that, asleep, yeah. yeah, so it's like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I like Beast Wars Megatron, but sometimes I think he's a little, like, overrated, where... 
like I, I think he's a good villain, but I don't necessarily think he's a good leader, basically. And like, oh no, he's yeah, the, himself, yeah, yeah. Like he's he's very like opportunistic, and like you know, I think he just gets like good you know moments to do things that would like work out for him, but. And, like, you know, obviously he's a smooth talker and he, you know, he's a master, like, chess master and stuff. But, you know, sometimes I think he's a little, like, overrated, like, where, you know, people are like, he killed Optimus Prime. And I'm like, yeah, but Optimus Prime was asleep. Yeah, so, I mean, like, anyone could have done that. Waspinator could have done that. All I can think of now is Tony's thing about you rape my childhood. It's like, I scored with Cindy Crawford. It's like, you the man, you the man. It's like, yeah, but he roofied her, and she was totally asleep and didn't realize it. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> yeah. not that's not as cool as as, you know, actually scoring with somebody who's a beautiful supermodel, you know, like, so it's like the same thing. It's like, he didn't, it's not like he engaged in this epic battle with Optimus Prime. It's like Optimus Prime was asleep like every other Autobot and Decepticon for the last (laughs) four million years. And he, he, you know, basically like Mike's saying, he saw an opportunity and took advantage of it. You know, he didn't let it pass him by, but it's not exactly like he... It, it, it's not exactly like it was much of a fight to to get that part of it well, done. Well, yeah, that, 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 I think that's what I was like going with the the whole raping my childhood thing. People bring that up, and sometimes it's like you know a good argument, I guess. But like you yourself, Derek, you you said like you know it wasn't raping your childhood, but you hate when like overpowered new characters take down uh, a hero or villain who is on their equal footing. But this was not that. It was a new character taking down a guy who could not fight back. And that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like it was a good moment. It was like he took down the big guy. I think the the brilliance of this is they use your nostalgic love to add to the high stakes of the situation, you know, between the protagonists and the antagonists. So it's not so much yeah, that feel, it's not like so much that anything like he he just got he got taken down in a moment of weakness, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not so much that anything is is wrong with the the way they portrayed your beloved characters. It's more yeah. that they're using your beloved characters to to you know it, it basically it's kind of like you're not you know you you're you're not going to hurt superman but if you if you stick jimmy olsen and lois lane in in a you know uh a uh, uh, you know buzzsaw machine or something like that then it's like oh okay you you get it like that's going to have a consequence if the buzzsaw actually splits them in two you know and and th- this is basically what you're doing you know you're taking like these these characters that people have have known for a long time and and kind of you know trying to play on that that nostalgia bent but also it it sort of for for the existing story with the current characters you know it it basically raises the stakes to such a high point that you know you're you're emotionally invested in what happens because you you understand that that you know one way or the other if you had a nostalgic connection to those characters or not you understand that that they realize that these characters are an integral part of history so it's you know it's 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 a fun you know to me i i never took it that way like i mean you know this was not any i i never viewed this to, to me this was a celebration of those 
of those nostalgic characters. I never took it as yeah. any kind of uh, defilement of those characters. Well, I, I think that's what I was, I was trying to explain. I may, I may have used the raping of childhood to, like, you know, literally. But what I was trying to explain is, like, this is the proper way to do it. You have your new big bad, who is Megatron 2, and he's taking out, like, the, the hero. But Optimus Prime is not the hero of the series. It's Optimus Primal. But he's taking out a classic character in a really shitty way that where you hate Megatron 2 more because you're like, you asshole. I want Optimus Primal to kick your ass. And that is like, that, that's what I'm saying. Is like, that's that, that, that's like, that, that's what I was trying to say with the, the proper, you know, term of that, you know, ribbing well, your childhood. Yeah, I, oh, I, think, you know, I think what people, yeah, you want to see like him get his comeuppance. Yeah. I, I think what people normally mean is that, it, you know, for them, they had a beloved childhood property. They tried to do a follow up to that property and it didn't bring back those same feelings of childhood and some people argue that those things are impossible to recapture like you know whatever the new property is it couldn't possibly live up to your your expectations that you you know your your viewpoint as a child but i'm i'm sort of here to tell you that this is the perfect example for me of why that is complete bullshit because this is something where it, it 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 did live up to my expectations. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking great. You know, like, so I don't, I mean, I, I, that it, it may be true of a great many things, you know, uh, you know, the whole adage, you know, you can't go home again, may be true of a lot of things, you know, whether it's like, uh, crystal skulls or fucking phantom menaces or whatever the fuck. Right. But, but in this case, this particular franchise is something where it was like, oh, I did, I was able to go home again. I, like, I did, I did get the feels from all these classic characters, and on top of that, it engaged me so much, and it was done so well that that I wanted to learn all about the new characters and and totally immerse myself in this new world. So, I mean, I I can't, yeah. I can't, like I said, I have double nostalgia fucking blinders for this like i i can't give it any more higher praise than this this ignited a flame of passion for transformers that had been uh you know basically a a uh, boy scout fire that had long since burnt out you know so like that's yeah. that's that's the highest compliment i can give it but i i think my response to that would just be you know one i think for me this is the complete antithesis of, of raping one's childhood, if you want to use that exactly. phrase or exactly. meme, right? And and the other thing I yeah. might say is just that if you watch the Agenda Part 3 and you're not on board with Beast Wars by this point, like, there's no hope for you. Do you know what I mean? Like, like if you can't, yeah, if you can't, yeah. if you can't get all giddy and excited about Transformers after seeing this, like y- you're dead inside. Like you've got no fucking yeah. soul, you know. So it's like I don't. I mean, you know, and I guess that's kind of harsh or whatever. But like, like, but but that's you know that's kind of like my take on it. It's like you you clearly have no joy, you know, because it's like oh well, if if you're so narrow-minded in your focus that that the only thing to you that's transformers is you know i don't know the the g1 cartoon or whatever it is you know like it's always got to be 
I don't know, like guys that turn into trucks or whatever, like that. I mean, fighting they, jets, yeah. You know, like like I guess, but but you know, I think to me, I would just say that you're you're missing out big time by by being that narrow minded. You know what always makes me laugh about this episode is when when Megatron's in the arc with Optimus Primal and uh, Prime and uh, Rhinox is like forcing the arc's doors open. Like I'm like, wait a minute. Like I, I was like, wait a minute, Primal. Like aren't you like just as strong, at least as strong as Rhinox? I mean, you could help him, like maybe. And then like you know, if you two held the doors open, like Cheetor and Rattrap could like zoom in and try and like intervene and stuff. But Optimus Primal's just like standing behind Rhinox, going. Open it, 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 open it. <laughs> I'm a super strong cyberdag monkey. Open that door, bitch. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah, I mean, but yes, it, yeah, but that's nitpicky. And we, I mean, I have nitpick stuff too, you know, like I, I brought up the whole, like, you know, Frank Welker, not Frank Welker thing. But, I mean, as Derek said, I mean, Derek put it very pointedly. If you watch this three part series, and if you were ever a Transformers fan, I don't care if you're like eight years old. I don't care if you're like me and Derek, you know, almost in our 40s. I'm in my 40s now. And this doesn't make you feel something, at least a little bit, like excitement, you know, intrigue. You know, like, I want to see what's next. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Derek said, you may be dead inside. I mean, that may be a little bit harsh, but I, I kind of agree. If you don't watch this, you're you're a joyless it, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was always kind of sad that like this was the end of Ravage. Well, like obviously, like in optimal situation, there's that quick scene of is like it, his his head on the ground. Well, and, like, it's, so, it's so it's funny. Gets... It's so funny too because everybody else sort of like you're saying like that. That was one thing that was disappointing about that follow up. Like I said, that you know you, you have these epic cliffhangers whether it's the best of both worlds part one or this and then you know the follow-up is just kind of like okay we got picard like we pulled out the plugs he's fine like let's let's yeah let's stop the plug yep. and you're just kind of like well, that, well was, like... that was a little too easy and, and in this it's like you you had all these guys that you thought were killed off and it's like for ravage it's like they went out of their way to be like look here's his charred fucking decapitated head like he is not coming back because everybody else did you know, everybody yeah. else kind of brushed off, like, the, the charcoal or whatever it was. It was like, oh, yep. you know what? Like, you thought Rampage got blown up by that missile in that really awesome scene, but he's fine. He's cool, you know. Yep. And, like, I mean, like, Tarantulas had the bombs that killed Ravage, like, stuck to his hands, and he recovered. So, like, yeah. But, I don't know. Like, uh, I think... Um, if I had my dithers, like, if I was, like, writing that, like, I would have left Inferno dead and, like, made Ravage into, like, a part of the cast, like, at that point. Like, if they, because I think Tarantulas probably should have survived because there was more to be told with him. So, like, if Tarantulas survived, then Ravage should have survived. And, I mean, obviously he comes back in the comics and stuff, but that, you know, that doesn't really count, you know, in, in terms of this, basically. So, I, I've not, I've made it you know, I've made it known that, like, I'm not a huge fan of season three of Beast Wars, but, like, you know, like, I'm always thinking of ways, like, when it comes up, I'm always thinking of ways, like, well, here's what I would have done, you know, if I, if, you know, they gave me, like, control of, like, season three of Beast Wars, and, like, 
you know, that that's a like fun exercise for me to do in my head, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I I, I would say like <clears throat> as far as I go, let's take a uh, person who doesn't know Transformers at all. There's a whole pantheon of stuff you can watch, like you know, Morty Bici, Enter John, or whatever Cybertron or whatever Prime, all these shows. Even animated. I love animated. I think animated is great. But if I had to take someone to sit down and say, I want you to like Transformers. I want you to enjoy this. I would pick the agenda. I would be like, here, watch this, like, you know, almost movie. I think they can release it as a movie. Maybe. It would have been, like, short of 90 minutes, obviously. But I would sit them down and be like, watch this and enjoy the characters and honestly, I think they would have been a fan after the end of it. I think they would have like not known a lot of the references, but it was so clean and so well done that the references are referenced easily. You're like, oh, like you said, Black Arachne explains everything. This is what happened. This is the war that happened before. I think anybody who watched this who was not a Transformers fan would be on board after seeing the agenda. I, I hope yeah. I hope so. I mean, like I I I think I, I think I think, this, I think I think this caters a little bit to longtime fans. So I don't know that I would. Sure. I, I don't know that I would necessarily start with this. Like I, I to be perfectly honest, this is a topic that's been on my mind for a while. But I mean, for for me, I think and and we've brought up this episode quite a bit. At, uh, talking about the agenda, I mean, part of me thinks I would I would lead off with you know, trying to show somebody an exemplary example of Transformers that had virtually no interest in it and you wanted to engage them, like, I sure. would I would probably show them Code of the Hero, you know, like, you know, as as some kind of, you know, example yeah. of, of something to put on a pedestal, you know? I, I, I think the only problem with Code of Hero is, like, as good as the episode is, you have to be invested in Dinobot. And with this, like Mike said, there's like the, and you said too, we have like this core cast that you get to see them interact with each other. And you, even if you don't know who they are, you don't know about Transformers lore, you kind of get sucked in. With Code of Hero, it's a great episode. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, top five, not even a question. But I think you have to know about Dinobot. And, you know, I, I understand the Wolverine aspect. You know, he's like a guy who's had a rough past. But I don't think you would have the same, like, feelings as you would. like Because, like, my favorite character in the agenda, as far as this three-part episode, is Rattrap. Because Rattrap actually steps up because he's, like, very cowardly in the first season. And in the second season, he actually does show... That's why I hate Beast Machine so much, because he shows he's capable he could do stuff. He is not a coward. He knows how to fight. But in the agenda, he shows that he's sneaky. He's, like, clever. And you get that vibe off him. It's like, I want to do what I got to do. He is actually, you know, let's bring it back to Ravage. Ravage is a survivor. Rat Trap is a better survivor than Ravage, you know? Yeah, definitely some, like, what do they call them? Like crowning moments of awesome for a rat trap in this this three parter. Yeah, yeah, you you really get a good feel for rat trap. 
Okay, well, so does anyone else have any, like, closing remarks on part three or any part in general? I I, I mean, I, I just really like the, I mean, I enjoy the agenda in general, so, um, but, yeah, I mean, that's... I, yeah, I was gonna, like, I, 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 uh, when I do my, like, I do, I think of my top ten, like, favorite Transformers stories, like, in my head, like, the agenda is, like, number four or five, basically, like, of all time. Yeah, it's just really solid. I mean, you can, like I said, like, you can watch it by itself, but I will give Derek credit where credit is due. If you know about the Beast Wars mythology... It just helps it so much more. It does help a lot when you like see how it went from, you know, the first season that was okay to the beginning of the second season that was like getting better. And then the agenda, you're like, holy shit, I'm wrapped up in this. I want to be on board for, you know, these characters. So, yeah, the agenda is a must watch for me. You know, I would say, yeah, yeah. go, go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seems well, like it's, it's like when they fully embraced like the mythology, like not only of like you know Beast Wars, but like of the entire Transformers like a uh, continuum up to that point. I unleash the storm of vengeance. Farewell. So yeah, so that was our discussion, our 20th anniversary Beast Wars discussion on the agenda parts one through three. Like we hope you enjoyed that. We're going to continue doing, you know, all our shows, you know, not not least of which is Transformers Tuesdays. And, uh, uh, Derek, why don't you tell everyone where, you know, if they're looking for us, they can find us. So if you want to find us, you can find us on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any questions, comments, and or concerns about this episode raping your childhood, you can email <laughs> us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We yeah, are me too, if you want. Sorry. <laughs> you, you, we, we are on all sorts of social media. You can stream our episodes on Stitcher Radio. We are on iTunes. We'd love any reviews and feedbacks that you have to offer us. We are on Tumblr. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on instagram so we're, we're on all kinds of crazy social networks you can you can see fun stuff out there uh besides transformers tuesdays we do all kinds of cool uh fan hole spin-off shows as we like to call them we've got sentai saturdays toku thursdays and mobile suit mondays and of course there always is the fan holes proper podcast show where you can listen to us talk about all kinds of comics science fiction fantasy and and all that kind of good stuff hey derek do we take requests I think we do, right? Yeah, I, I'll take a request. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I request that you kiss my ass. Is that is that is that a is that one of your favorite uh, Transformers episodes? <laughs> what, I, I'm curious now. What what are your what, what like you said? This was agenda was like probably number four. Like what what are the what are the other three? Yeah, I'm curious, uh, Mike. Which is, yeah, yeah. The story wise, yeah. um, let me think. Uh, number one was Transformers the movie. Okay. Uh, number two was Generation Two, like Marvel one through twelve. Okay. And uh, number three was, uh, you know, I just wrote this because someone did like a topic on Bot Talk. Um, I, it was Les Hands Records, wasn't it? 
No, I think that was number five. Oh, it was James Roberts' uh, Eugenesis. Oh, okay. Okay. Is cool. his, cool. The novel he wrote, which isn't technically, like, canon, but it's, Wait, but like... you still liked it, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's an, it's an official creator's work, so, you know, yeah. you can take it as canon if you want. But, cool. yeah, and the number five was, like, Last Stand of the Wreckers. Yeah. And then, like, six yeah. through ten are other things, too. My top five is, uh, number five, uh, Chaos and D Minor. Uh, number four, Transformers uh, four. Number three, Transformers one. Number three, Transformers uh, three, actually. Number two, Carnival? Transformers one. And number one is Transformers <laughs> two, Revenge of the Fallen. That's the greatest movie ever. What about Carnival? I was going to say Carnival. Yeah, Carnival. Carnival, yeah. In any case, uh, this is Mike Thunderwing signing off, and we no longer exist. This is Derek, Derek WC, and I too am sorry for this. This is Tony, and this will eat This is my final. Okay, leave us hanging. Roar! Tony, really? it, it's true, right? You're you're a secret member of the Tripredicus Council. You've been here with the fan holes from the beginning to impede our progress and, and somebody these... slapped red paint on my face earlier, <laughs> but I thought that's what it was. It's like, is that what happened? And what Tripredicus now? Tripredicus Council. There wasn't enough budget to to render the fan holes, so we're made of different we're made of parts of different people. Nice. I don't look like my character model, but I'm still red. Really fucking red. We're we're we are not accurate to the to the Tony, Michael, and Derek that combine into Tri Fanholicus. Nice. That's a that's a Botox exclusive, right? Yes. I'm still not lobster. I'm not gonna be the goddamn lobster. I'll be the fucking beetle or the fucking cicada but i'm not gonna be the lobster i suppose i'm contractually obligated to be the lobster